You're listening to episode 171 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Um, hey guys, I'm Phil. Um, <laughs> so, when you hear a joke? <laughs> yeah, Phil. What's what your joke? What did the EU say to Union Jack? Oh boy. What? what? I don't like this already. Fuck off, eh? <laughs> <laughs> That was and pretty that, good. That was better than any of Phil's jokes have been in months. <laughs> I actually am really impressed because I know based on the conversation we were having off the air that that was really not what was going to happen. Like you just did that, right? <laughs> so that was pretty good. I say um, we give Marco the opening bit, you know? He's been proving himself time and time again. It's too much responsibility. I also, <laughs> I also like Phil as Kermit. I think that I think that fits really well. Actually, <laughs> has legs, right? Frog legs. Um, frogs, yeah. Frogs have legs. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Phil uh, will actually be joining us later. So, for those of you who are, you know, Phil or bust, uh, we will have the man himself joining us a little later on. I think Phil. People who are fans of Phil should call themselves filler busters. Oh, I was literally gonna make that. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we've got quite a bit to talk about. We're going to be reviewing X-Men number five and X-Force number six. Hopefully you have already read those books. X-Force number six is a banger. And there is so much to talk about with that issue. So I look forward to getting to that point in the show. But we've got a lot to do ahead of that. Firstly, I need to tell you guys where you can find us all over the internet. Uh, first up, you can get us on all po- podcast hosting platforms at the Comics Pals. If we're not where you want us to be, at Mr. Marco Edamoto, in all caps, when you yell at him. <laughs> uh, oh, it intimidates me. <laughs> sure. He we likes are, it. <laughs> uh, I bet, actually. Uh, we are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You can get us on there. You can get us by writing to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com with a random question of the week, buy or sell, your thoughts on what we talk about here or any other episode. It doesn't even have to be related to the show. You can say whatever you want to say. Uh, we don't have to read it, so it's <laughs> stupid. So choose wisely. Um, uh, we'll, we'll probably read it. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you very much. Hello. Uh, make sure that you guys subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. Leave us a like. Leave us a comment. And uh, share with your friends the link to our YouTube channel. All those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. Hit the notification bell to be made aware whenever we drop our content. Join the Discord. Head over and join our Discord. Uh, We have a lot of fun over there, I have to say. Uh, We talk a lot about music, uh, comics, what we're reading. You know, lots of of interactions. We've got a, a grip of people. Uh, and a fun bunch at that. So if you want to, you know, interact with us, interact with other people who enjoy this podcast, other fans of comics, this is a great Discord to come and uh, join up with. We are going to start doing giveaways pretty soon here. Uh, so get on board and make sure that you are here when we do get with the giveaways and whatnot. Uh, we have the uh, Spider-Man Life Story Book Club out right now. Uh, just came out. And uh, we've got a whole host of other book clubs. This has gone on long enough. You guys can go find that stuff, I'm sure. So go do that. Speaking of Discord, 
uh, we do have a question that came in through the Discord. So, Pete, take it away. Yeah, and some might call this a random question of the week. <laughs> really went for it right there. Ooh. I had to, you know. I don't. I don't get to do it that often anymore. So now it's like I just gotta own it. I barely ripped my headphones out of my ears. <laughs> See, I saw you go that for it close. too, and I was like, I gotta shoot for the fences so he still hears it, you know, or he'll be confused when he puts them back on. The microphone probably picked it up. <laughs> I would hope so. That's what it does. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well, he seemed confused. So this question comes from uh, Harris, actually, uh, regular writer into the show, um, uh, a.k.a. Spring Hill Rick over on our Discord. And he says, I have a random question. I was thinking about the Wolverine quote in Hawkspox about a new type of predator in times of peace. What predator do you think Wolverine is alluding to? Human, android, alien, or a mutant within? I believe it would be awesome if the predator is Jamie Madrox. I would be stoked if this were the case using the reasoning of his existence for him to stop the resurrections and returning permanent death. So what do we think okay. about that? Uh, first, thanks for the question. Um, I think that he was speaking in generalities um, when he said that. And I think it was meant to evoke fear out of the reader. Like, who knows what's lurking around the corner for the, for the mutants. We've already seen what some of that is, these new predators with all the different villains that they've had to deal with. Um, I think X-Force number six is actually a really great example of what he was, you know, kind of referring to. But we've seen the old ladies, you know, the octogenarians or whatever. Uh, we've seen the uh, we've seen the, 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 the kids. The new Hellfire Club, too. Yeah. Uh, we've, you know, we've, we've seen a, a lot of different factions emerge already. Uh, not to mention what's going on and fallen angels with the uh with the uh the robot uh the 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 sentient robot that's that's been wreaking havoc over there so every corner of species is actually coming for the mutants right now and they're dealing with threats of all kinds the the plant angle the, and like the nature angle of of this era of X Men is is really interesting to me. It's not something I expected to to latch on to mm. uh, the way it has been. Yeah, it's it, it it's really inventive, um, considering that you know Krakoa itself is like the living island. Uh, it definitely it definitely makes sense, but also yeah. Not not where I expected it to to sort of go. You know, typically you'd be like, "Oh, we'll burn it down," but people have been like, "No, let's like learn from this, adapt to it, and 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 try to like weaponize it." And I'm like, "Oh, you're right, okay." It's cool too because <clears throat> I feel like it's a very natural evolution, which I didn't mean to be a pun. Hey. Uh, of of kind of the idea that you know the x the x men are the next step in human evolution right like they themselves are very naturalistic when you think about it you know their their powers are totally natural and most marvel characters like are given their powers like from an accident from destiny from you know uh honing their body into a weapon like the mutants are the only like super powered beings that are naturally made you know, there's one thing everybody can say about uh, Cyclops is that he's very crunchy, very crunchy. 
<laughs> real tree hugger that guy real Cyclops. hippie yeah uh <laughs> so i i think that that's something that i agree with what marco said where it is unique but it, it's almost kind of like wow yeah this makes a lot of sense particularly when you are using it as a juxtaposition of the mutants versus the humans you know where all of humans advancements are through science are through technology are through tools you know things that um augment our natural vulnerability or weakness you know whereas like mutants are born strong and like that their ability to adapt to nature rather than try to dominate or control it is so different than us and how we build societies up so i yeah i think that theme has been really really uh well threaded there but to take it back to the question i totally agree with what sean was putting down i think that wolverine's statement there is is uh, kind of echoed again in X-Force number one, where we had that situation where Beast gets attacked, and he's talking about how peace breeds in that original quote that we're referencing, like how it can breed new kinds of predators, new kinds of enemies for the mutants, and also then he kind of pulls on that thread again by saying that the peace that we have breeds weakness, you know, because it breeds complacency and we're not ready for an attack. So I think it's the the balancing of those two kinds of ideas, and that was really what was trying to be set up there for the reader is that just because the mutants are dominant and more powerful in a way that they never have been doesn't mean that they're not vulnerable. And that's something that has been picked up on uh, again in X-Force number one and in X-Force number six. One, one thing that I think is interesting about this is we really haven't seen too, too much of like mutant threats to mutants. Yeah. Uh, we know Except for Shaw. We know Shaw is doing what he's doing, but he ha- he's he doesn't present a threat to mutants so much as he's just out for himself. Like, yeah, he'll do whatever he has to do, which includes kill Kate Pride in this instance. But he's not a threat to mutantdom. Um, we know that there's going to be some problems because we we've seen everyone has seen that Mystique cover from X Men, I believe number six where she's running from gunfire or whatever. Um, and it probably relates to the fact that they haven't resurrected Destiny yet. Is that Was that that person's name that Moira didn't want uh, yes. resurrected? Okay, I was yeah. trying to remember that. And Jordan D. White, actually, who's the, one of the editors on uh, for the X branch of books, said that if he could, uh, he would have marked... I believe I'm, I'm believing it was six. It's six or seven. He would have marked that as red in the reading order listing. He would have marked that issue as red. Um, and I think we all knew that from when they first teased that cover way back in New York Comic Con that it was going to be major. We'll see how major it ends up being. Uh, the point that I was trying to get to that I worked my way away from was <laughs> there's a forgotten group of mutants called the Morlocks. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I've always thought that they had a really interesting place within mutantdom because they're mm-hmm. shunned by humans and kind of by mutants. Because the Morlocks don't necessarily have these amazing powers and they're not pretty people and, you know, they're the dregs of society. What is their place in this utopia? Do they even want that? Because they never had a great relationship with mutants anyway. Yeah. So how does how do they work into this? And I, I kind of wish that thread would have been pulled on, but uh, I don't expect it. 
that's a great point that'd be super interesting to to explore yeah and and there's no books doing that right now like, like even like hinting or anything no I, f- I feel like with the ground this era has covered though it, surely it's coming yeah it can't be an oversight i don't think yeah i would be surprised if they never touched on it because i feel like when uh phil sean and i went to the new york comic-con panel with like all not all but many of the you know the creative talent behind the new wave they are talking about how you know this whole initiative like what's so fun about it is that every mutant piece is on the board you know so I think as long as there's somebody interested in telling the story about the Morlocks or they can think about where they fit, they'll definitely come up at some point. They've pulled they've pulled deeper cuts so far, I feel like. <laughs> That's a, a really interesting place to take Storm, too, because wait, she was the leader of the Morlocks for a minute, wasn't she? She beat yeah. up uh, Calypso? Uh, yes. Jesus, yes. oh, I haven't thought about this shit since, like... 2003 <laughs> uh, but yeah that would be a good place to put like a, a storm centered book because she hasn't really been a focus much in any of the of the books that we've been reading since Hawkspox. yeah Not really yeah i mean like right she's on the marauders and is a yeah. council member but that's kind of yep. it. yeah uh since we're talking about the x-men anyways uh, i just thought it would be interesting to note a couple things about uh where the dawn of x titles are not necessarily what's going on in them but just you know where we're at uh x-force has wrapped i'm sorry not x-force fallen angels has wrapped uh with number six so that's that's done brian edward hill is passing the baton and moving on uh we are getting wolverine just here in a couple of weeks, uh, February 19th, we're getting our first Wolverine ongoing in years, uh, which is pretty crazy to say. Um, Benjamin Percy, who's writing X-Force, is going to be on that with art by Adam Kubert oh. and Victor Bogdanovic. Dude. That's awesome. That guy's... Kubert. Kubert. What's the writer's name again? Benjamin Percy. Benjamin per- His voice is so intense. Yeah. Well, we, we saw him at the, at the same panel I was just referencing, and he has this, like, very yeah. booming, powerful voice. I was just like, this this seems like the right guy to write Wolverine. He yeah. sounds like how I hear Wolverine in my head. <laughs> uh, we're also getting Cable. Oh, uh, yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah, Young Cable's getting an ongoing, mm. which is uh, pretty interesting considering where he kind of ends up from Fallen Angels. Um, and then Hellions, which we're going to be talking about later because there's some cool stuff going on with that. Uh, that's coming out in, uh, in March. Both of those books are coming out in March. So the future of the X-Men still looks pretty strong. There's a lot of titles that are being published right now. And I know that a lot of people are, you know, feeling the weight of it, but, um, I think they've been pretty good. So, oh, and, uh, speaking of, of the X-Men, uh, if we just jump into our pals pulls, which there's no reason not to do, uh, Kale and I both pulled X Men Fantastic Four number one. Mm. This, this was one of the uh, one of the more interesting threads from Cheese uh, Hawkspox number one, whichever whichever book it was. Yeah, I think it was. House. I think it was. It was House. It, it was, was House. house. One. Uh, Cyclops tells the Fantastic Four that. Um, uh, fucking Franklin. Franklin. Thank you. Yeah. I was thinking Richie Rich, and I don't know why I couldn't get that picture <laughs> out of my head. Richie <laughs> uh, tells uh, tells the Fantastic Four that uh, Franklin belongs with the X Men, 
and yep. that he has a real family with the with mutants and the X-Men. Yeah. His and, real family's waiting for him, I think is what he says. And a, a collective ooh <laughs> went all throughout the Marvel fandom. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see uh, how the uh, this stuff finally sort of affects the the broader hero world. I think that'll be a really cool um, concept. And uh, it's Chip Zdarsky. Yeah. Uh, which oh, yeah. oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, with oh, Terry shit. Terry Dotson on art. <gasps> That's a team. Yep. Whoa. Shit, I'm going to have to get that. Throw that yep. on my list, too. I'm looking forward to that. There you go. <laughs> Endorse. Yeah, that um, I, the point that you just made, Kale, is one I, I was actually thinking about earlier today uh, while I was reading X-Force. I was like... I feel like that's one of the few threads that has not been pulled on yet is mm. like what what is the broader superhero community's reaction to what's going on with Krakoa? I think uh the what the fuck is it? The the new anti-teen hero thing. I think that just started recently too, didn't it? What? Anti-teen hero? Yeah, there's a uh I think it's the next event where the adults get together and are banning teenage heroes. I don't know what it's called. Oh. Yeah, dangerous. Probably, probably something like, I mean, yeah, no more children. <laughs> it's, not, it's not Empire. No. It's not Empire. I'll look it up. Uh, Wait, so have has the larger Marvel Universe reacted to this stuff like i i said i'm not i'm not reading anything so i'm just i'm just curious if like that's been addressed at all and anywhere uh, i don't i don't read every single comic that marvel puts out so i i can't say uh outside of the books that i'm reading but i haven't seen really any references at all to what's going on with the mutants at the moment and i think that's probably because of go ahead kill outlawed okay Cool. Is what it's called. Is that an event in and of itself? Uh, as I mean, as much as um, anything else. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I think Marco. It's because of X Men Fantastic Four in a lot of ways. I think that's going to be the bridge because so much of it has been about setting up the mutant status quo, and then now this will be the bridge to letting us see how the rest of the world feels about it. And we know that there's a major mutant-centric event coming in 2020. Yeah. So that could also further address what you're what you're talking about. Avengers versus X-Men 2. Oh, fucking hell. It's, uh, oh, it says, uh, this is from The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, in 2020, we're back to anti-superhero legislation once more with three Great. new launches this spring. Good, and great. the news, the newsorama headline for that is, "Okay, Boomer, Marvel launches outlawed event." God, you know, uh, it's tough because on the one hand, I'm a big fan of superhero legislation acts. Uh, I love it, but on the other hand, and and actually on top of that, I do feel like. Uh, teen heroes as a concept is a little shaky. Um, I mean, it's fine to be wrong sometimes. Fair enough. Um, I mean, I feel like it's total. I totally get where you're coming from. Like, I like teenage heroes, but I feel like 
in the real world, that's something I super wouldn't be comfortable with. It's like, yeah, no, no child soldiers. <laughs> it, but at the same time, it, it feels like they're taking a sub portion of what Civil War the book was about and then mm-hmm. making that an event, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so we'll this comes out in March. It's March 18th is when that comes out. C- creative so. team attached? No. Uh, I just closed the thing. It was uh, Eve Ewing. Hey, cool. She's writing uh, Rescue. Eve Ewing and art by Kim Jacinto. Why did I say Rescue? I'm sorry. Ironheart, not Rescue. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Huh. All right. Uh, Kale's other pull was Martian Manhunter number 12. I'm so glad that this series is finally over so I can get the trade. <laughs> yeah, that's what I want to do. I was really enjoying it, but I mm-hmm. I was like losing interest in it issue to issue, and I was like, I just want to read this when it's done. It wasn't for me. Uh, I enjoyed the first one a lot. The second one mm-hmm. was all right, and then I just was like, ah, I'm done with this. Fell off. Um, but uh, I'm interested to hear what you guys think. What, do you think I just really like the art? Did yeah. it did it follow the sort of. Uh, did it fall into the kind of Martian Manhunter ultimately is kind of a boring character trap that it seems like the others do? I didn't think so. I no. actually thought it was adding depth to the character in interesting ways. And it sounds like, well, then why the hell did you read it then? Um, I just, at the time, was like, man, I'm pulling so many books. Yeah. So I want to drop what I'm not loving. And yeah. I wasn't loving it. That makes sense. Uh, I also chose Daredevil number 17 now you want to talk about a book I am loving this book is crazy good Uh, Daredevil is probably the best Marvel book right now really yeah I think I think that's a widely shared opinion yeah god I need to read this book it's it's powerful like this book is incredibly good Uh, it, it echoes heavily in my mind, I don't think this is intentional, the Netflix show. And it made me wish that there we were getting another season because this would have been the perfect framework for that, this particular run. Uh, it introduces new characters that are compelling, uh, a new angle for Matt Murdock's relationship to the Daredevil character and to Hell's Kitchen that I really enjoyed. But it also makes great use of characters like Kingpin, who is often one note, but here really does get... Uh, brought to the forefront and for those of you who aren't familiar kingpin right now is the mayor of new york and that is crazy on itself but there's other things going on with him that are almost more interesting uh and you can imagine like what would it be like if the kingpin went straight and had to be a political person how would he survive and thrive in that environment uh so really really cool 2020 Um, probably not that hard (laughs) I mean, he, did win he our, is the president, yeah, guys. He became the president in our uh, in our election, uh, and then uh, the art is tremendous. Marco Cicchetto oh. is uh, oh nice. Art, well, maybe top top three favorite working artists for me, and uh, unfortunately, he doesn't do every single issue. But the fill in artists are also very talented, and whenever Marco is on the book, I am over the moon. So cool. huge, huge Thank recommendation. You. <sighs> Thank you. Gotta catch up. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I just um, it just occurred to me it's an election year. We're gonna have to have another election. Yeah, sure. it's time. Damn, I plan to win. 
<laughs> well, I mean, so did I. Vote for me. Uh, Marco chose After Realm Quarterly number one. Yeah, boy. This is uh, Michael Avon Oming. I love, love his work, um, especially from Powers. That's primarily where I know him from. But I know he's done a couple like uh, web comics. He's done a couple things here and there. And this is his, uh, I don't know if it's his return to image necessarily, but one of the, the books that has been dealing with a bit more like fantasy. Uh, and I think it's inspired by, uh, by like D&D and stuff like that. So I, I've definitely been been following as he's been teasing it out on, on like Twitter and stuff. Um, so yeah, so I'm interested just alone on uh, on his name. Um, and if you're a fan of fantasy stuff, maybe some D&D, like this might be a book for you. Uh, the colors are by Taki Soma and it's being lettered by Sean Lee. So um, yeah, go check it out. He has his Twitter and Insta. Uh, it's just Oming, his last name. You can go check out some uh, preview pages if anything. Cool. Awesome. I like that. Uh, so let's jump into the news. We've got some some interesting things to talk about. The first one, I think, is something that uh, will get a lot of love on this podcast. Uh, DC has, of course, we've got the big uh, uh, Birds of Prey movie coming out here uh, next week. And Holy crap, that's already next week? I know, right? Uh, oh my God. DC has announced that they will be giving away Harley Quinn comics... And oh. they will be playing a trailer for um, for Harley Quinn Breaking Glass, the, the the graphic novel that they put out uh, by uh, Mariko Tamaki and uh, Steve Pugh. Yeah. Uh, so Regal Cinemas will actually have this preview playing, uh, and it will be paired with a uh, Birds of Prey movie promotion. Uh, so if you go to the movies and you go check out Birds of Prey, you will get a comic. Oh um, yeah! But in addition to that, there will be these trailers that will play ahead of a host of movies. I'm not even going to read them all, uh, but movies like Knives Out, um, uh, Just Mercy, Last Christmas, Parasite, uh, all those movies will have this trailer playing. Even Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, all these movies wow. will have this trailer wow. playing. And if you go see Birds of Prey, you will receive a copy of Harley Quinn number one uh, by Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, and uh, several other creators. So, quick, quick clarifying question: Does that mean that it's going to play in the, that same period as those trailers, or is it in the like pre-trailer role that there is in most movie theaters, where they have like, where they're like, oh, like here's like movie trivia, or like we're gonna you know talk about news or something, you know, like there's always like. That yeah, kind of prepackaged yeah. bullshit. Uh, it's not. It doesn't say. If I had to okay. guess, it would be that. That right. Um, yeah. Which, of course, that's that's the time period where a lot of people are are getting in and, and yeah. things like that. But I, I think that's still leagues above what we often see. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and if absolutely. it's the last one, then that makes a big difference, right? Like if it's that, and then it's like, okay, movie trailers time. Like everyone, turn off your phones. Like. Yeah, that's like most people are in the theater by that point. So a lot of right. people are going to see that, especially before a Birds of Prey screening. Obviously, those are people who are interested in Harley Quinn. So that's an absolute slam dunk. Yeah, yeah. Definitely going to be interested to see how that reacts, especially considering what we mentioned, I think, last week about the boys. Mm. Yeah. Um. So 
be really interested to see how that sort of works out for for the month that it's in and how long it lasts because i think i think that'll be in, at least indicative to, to show like effectiveness if anything yeah well and the the boys example i think is a really interesting one because like we talked about that last week and obviously there's some context around that that makes it a little different than like a harley quinn book or something like that but the fact that they're pushing to this like one specific graphic novel where like you could pick this up and understand it is that's I think the way to do it you know is because I feel like so many people might be interested in comics but they just don't know where to start and if you give them that free issue and they're like oh I like this maybe I'll go check out the thing I saw the trailer for they read that and like that they take another step forward and go pick up something else you know Mm. and I think that's how you get people because you know I think, like, how many people our age who are into comics started somewhat similarly, right? Like, you watched the X-Men on Fox Kids or whatever, and then you were like, oh, I'm interested in this. And then you go and check out the thing. And I wonder even if they could take that a step further, like, to to continue that along. You can be, like, at the end of the issue, maybe, or, like, at the beginning, you can even say, you know, for more like this you know download our dc app whatever and then on there if you want to find like you can download digital versions but if you want to find the physical we also have like a comic store locator or whatever to yeah. to, like, to send you out or put like a, a comiXology qr code or something like that sure. to get them to like here's a list of harley quinn books that you can read after this like that kind of thing i neglected to mention this but uh it, it, the the issue that they're giving away is a special version it's it's not like the, the the literal uh, reprint of Harley Quinn number one from 2016. It's a special version that does also include lots of ads for books that are coming out now and older books, so that if you want more, yeah. you can get more. Slam dunk. Yeah. The other the other point I wanted to make was that this is so great for this particular movie, just because I think a lot of women will go see this movie. A lot of non-traditional fan potential fans of comics who want to see characters like this want to see movies like this but don't have a tie to comics who might go oh shit i didn't even know like i I never even thought about a harley quinn comic book or i never even thought about birds of prey so then you give them this and i think there's a, a bigger potential for a return on the investment than maybe say like avengers just because that's such a big spectacle and like people who don't care about comics and never will will go see that um, yeah and 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 i assume even like you can work with the theaters to even like cover some costs so i imagine that like like we can produce you know but we'll work something out where you guys give this away whatever portion of the ticket can compensate for xyz thing like i'm sure there's there's a way that makes it economically feasible for for this kind of distribution as well so this is overall what we've been talking about for literally years and uh it's a great play yeah i totally agree this is like something that i i know we've we've harped on in so many past conversations about like how comics could be better promoted and i really don't think there's a better way to do that than to put a book in somebody's hand yeah so since we're not going to have another opportunity to speak about birds of prey today and the movie's coming out next week where are you guys at? Like, where's your excitement level? You know, is this a movie that you really care about? Are you ready for this? Do you want to see it? Like, where are you at? Uh, I think I said it when we talked about the last trailer. Um, I am not excited to see another Harley Quinn film. Um, I was really excited with the original teaser. 
I thought the imagery and the, the, the stylization of it really got me into it. But this, uh, at like, as soon as you hear Harley Quinn's voice in the, in the voiceover for this new trailer, I was like, oh yeah, no, I don't like this. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, I didn't realize it was this weekend. Uh, and, and you, so you said that and I was like, oh, that's right. And I remember feeling negatively about the the second trailer, and similar to to Kale, like a little bit more positive on the first. But now that you mentioned that it was like, oh, this weekend, I'm like, oh yeah, I wonder if I could take Marion into that. Oh really? Because yeah. that's funny. Because my my reaction is, oh yeah, I don't I don't want to. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd say I'm like probably somewhere in the middle of those two things. I wasn't particularly excited for this movie and I like the first trailer was okay, but it didn't really like knock my socks off. You know, it just feels like kind of more of this style and that doesn't mean anything really because, you know, I think the one other really significant appearance of this character, I like the film is bad, but I think Margot Robbie's performance is one of the few things that's not bad. You know, like her and Will Smith and some of the other characters to way varying degrees are like, well, your your performance isn't bad. So, like, this is kind of watchable. So, like, I'm going into it with that level of expectation, right? So, if this is even, you know, a little bit better than that, I'll be pleasantly surprised. So, like, I'm not expecting to love this movie. I'll be satisfied if I don't hate it. I'm not going to get into – I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the point – but I'm not going to harp on it about the fact that a lot of the discourse that I've seen online about this movie is like, who are these characters? Um, yeah. Because they, they don't look like their comic book counterparts almost at all, except for Harley Quinn. Uh, and Huntress is wearing purple. Great. <laughs> uh, and and I, th- I think that's to the detriment of the film. It very much reminds me of early 2000s comic book movies that clearly were trying to avoid the fact that they were comic book movies and that to me is not good but uh be that as it may my excitement level is pretty much nil uh i don't really like care about this and i wish i did when it was announced i was like yes let's go birds of prey but when you tell me batgirl's not in the picture on any level uh when you tell me these characters are, they appear to be far cries from their comic book counterparts. When you tell me it's a vehicle for Harley Quinn, like I'm getting less and less excited with everything I hear about it. And that sucks because I want to love this. Uh, there have been reviews online already. Uh, a lot of, you know, people in the industry have seen it. A lot of reviewers have seen it. And, you know, it's one of those things where, at least from what I've read, it's like, I'm going to tell you the stuff I liked about it and I'm going to be very positive right now about those specific things and i'm not going to bring up anything outside of that uh that's what i've gotten out of the stuff that i have read i could be uh you know over interpreting it's possible but that was the vibe i got we'll see when the actual reviews come out with scores hmm what are we some kind of birds of prey <laughs> thanks phil i feel like phil would absolutely have said that at that exact specific moment no, no, no. He would have interrupted you about like three minutes earlier when you yeah. were like still trying to like actually talk about it to make it, and none of us would have laughed. So Marco's got better timing. That's uh, you're you're right. Yeah, you're right. 
So, uh, you know, you guys will hear our thoughts on the film itself uh, next week when we do our review. Let's talk about something that I'm excited about. I think you guys will also be excited. I know Marco will be excited. Uh, Joe Hill is teaming up with Stuart Eminem for a uh, Hill House joint. Hell um, yep. Hill House, of course, being Joe Hill's pop-up imprint, which is, I believe, a subset of Black Label. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, for a book called Plunge, this is a horror thriller comic that takes place in the Arctic, which is the perfect setting for a horror comic. Uh, this will be coming out February 19th, and uh, it's described as equal parts John Carpenter's The Thing and Lovecraft's Cthulhu. Oh, I, that's a great pitch. <laughs> that's how you hook me. <laughs> I, I know, dude. Uh, <laughs> so the idea here, the premise is that a ship disappeared 40 years ago in the Arctic. Uh, it comes back. It's It's found. And everyone on the ship hasn't aged a day, but they look crazy in the face and they clearly are not human anymore. They're not, you know, they're not operating as human beings anymore. Um, that's the, that's all we really get as far as what is the book about. Uh, there is an interview with the creators on newsarama.com. Uh, and it, it's a good, it, it's, it's an interesting look into what this book is going to be. Uh, and I actually think there are some cool tidbits from Joe Hill uh, that he, that he, you know, he kind of talks about, you know, his career, how he approaches comics versus, um, you know, books. Uh, and he talks a little bit about why this is a, is a comic book and not a regular book. Um, so yeah, just on its face, what do you guys think about this? Very interested. Yeah, um, I really like nautical stories and stuff. Like my father's Same. a sailor, and I always like grew up around boats and stuff. So I uh, have like kind of an affinity for that. Real big seaman, huh? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some might say a hefty seaman, and uh, I, like all of the imagery here. Like I mean, Stuart Eminem is a great artist in general, but like I really I dig all these like dead giant squids, and I'm very interested in what is going on here. And I don't know. I, it, it looks cool. I got to take issue with something you just said, Pete. Uh, Stuart Eminem is uh, the best. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Real cool. This has nothing to do with the book, which I'm very excited for. But in the Newsarama article, can we just talk about the picture they have for Stuart Eminem and like how much he just looks like he's got time for none of your shit? Yes. <laughs> right. He's busy being the best artist in comics right now. Like, Fair of enough. Of course he doesn't. Fair enough. I, uh, I, but yeah, I mean, obviously, Joe Hill, amazing. Um, the Netflix show drops this week, no? Oh, Does I it? think you're correct. Right? I I feel like you're correct. Fuck, dude. Yeah, Wait, so, lo- so Lock and Key? Lock and Key. Oh, fuck. That's this week, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, so Jesus. I. Um, All right. Um, I- I'm excited for it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, me too. So, yeah, I mean, Joe Hill, all the way. Hill House books have been great. Uh, I have Daphne Byrne over there that I have not opened yet, but is just waiting for me. So, I, I thought I would throw this out. We don't have to chew on it for long, but I just really liked this question, and I, I enjoyed Hill's answer. Uh, so he was asked, so you have this natural cliff, cliffhanger thing in your novels, 
anyway. But I'm wondering how you choose one or the other, or is it just any story works with either medium? So uh, what he's saying is that uh, the chapters in Hill's novels tend to end on cliffhangers, and so he's asking the difference between do is it the same thing as you know ending a comic on a cliffhanger type thing? Uh, and so Hill says, I have a lot more fun writing comics, and I find them a lot easier. It's my natural form. In a lot of ways, writing a novel is like comprising, uh, composing classical music for an orchestra, and writing a comic is like being in a four- or five-man garage band. That doesn't Hell really yeah. answer your question, but I have a lot of joy doing comics, and I come to them very naturally, so I'm always looking for an excuse to do more. Lock and Key started as a comic book pitch. I've been asked over the years why I never did that one as a novel, but it was just never a novel in my mind. I always saw it from the very first inception of that idea. I was always seeing it as a story that would be presented sequentially as a comic book. And I kind of feel that same way here. I look for a really strong visual hook. So you want to find something that will be graphically interesting. And I guess I look for a story that has a strong element of kinetic action because I think comic book readers want to see more than they want to read. You can do almost any kind of story with comic books. You can expand it and take chances with it to do almost any story. But I do think a highly interior story, you know, a story that's really about someone battling psychological demons as opposed to physical demons, is a little harder to render and is a little more natural to do as prose fiction as opposed to a comic book. So that's another thing. If there's a really strong interior element, you know, if that's the most powerful element, if the challenges the hero faces are mostly interior challenges, then I would be more hesitant to tackle it as a comic book. Now, uh, that's really interesting. I just want to point out that that is like, if if you are someone who wants to write comics... You should really, really, like, take in what he just said. Because that can help you in determining whether or not the idea that you have makes sense for a comic. And if it doesn't on its face, how you can sort of make it make sense. Um, yeah, but I just I just really love that answer. I don't know if you guys have anything to say to it. but It's just – it's a really good answer and it's thoughtful because I hadn't really – that's something I hadn't really thought about in that way, right? And, like, I think it, it's – it's one of those pearls of wisdom that sounds obvious on its face, but I think can all too easily get lost in the shuffle of the idea that, like, as a writer, you're kind of almost just as responsible for how good the art is going to be because you're the one coming up with that visual hook, right? And, like, if you give a great artist very little to work with, like, you're squandering their talents. So the idea that you really want to think of your writing in that kind of more, you know, he said kinetic action, right? Like an almost more like cinematic way, right? Of like thinking about like how you're going to craft each of those scenes and like, is it something that's visually interesting to engage with and for an artist to produce? That's, I think that's a really thoughtful answer to that question. Yeah, it, it, it definitely plays, um, and sorry, just like my last point, it, it definitely plays into like what, um, uh, what Nathan um Fox from Fox. what Nathan Fox from uh Weatherman was has kind of been saying like in terms of like how you sort of manage the visual narrative aspect and that that kinetic that that kinetic energy was something we like we really we really touched upon and just like how you sort of formulate that and 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 how you bring that to life um and excited to hear that you know he specifically thought lock and key was something that needed to be visual because I mean it's it, visually it's like visceral so. Uh, awesome super insightful cool 
so yeah, uh, if that book is is up your alley, if you want to see this creative team do their thing, which I certainly do, that's the 19th of February for Plunge. Okay, cool. So, that sounds and, uh, really cool. I'm very interested in that book. And and confirming that uh, Lock and Key comes out this Friday. Yep. If you're listening Monday, God comes out this Friday. <laughs> yep. So lots of, we'll, we'll be busy. People will be busy. You got Birds of Prey. You got Lock and Key. So uh, you we know, got reviews on reviews coming up. <laughs> Well, I don't know about Lock and Key, but uh, we'll see. Still. I'm going to watch it. I don't know if I'm reviewing it. We'll see. Um, so uh, we have something of uh, unfortunate. I think we have to talk about it now uh, because uh, Eddie Braganza and Eric Esquivel have launched a publisher, comics publisher. Now, if those names... Don't sound familiar to you. If, if for any reason this sounds like good news, hold your horses. Uh, both like of these that, people... I like that bait and switch there. <laughs> both of these people have uh, very uh, uh, bad reputations in the industry, and for good reason. Eddie Braganza <laughs> is a well-known comics editor, uh... He was a comics editor through the 90s and the 2000s and was the executive editor, actually, at DC. Um, It was known, but kept secret, kept quiet, I guess, um, that he had, you know, uh, allegations of sexual assault and harassment and things. Maybe assault is a strong word. Harassment. I'll I'll say that because I don't recall if there was actual assault allegations and i don't want to say something i don't know for sure but I, I i know that there were there were definitely allegations of harassment and it seemed pretty serious and it seemed widespread it was one of those secrets that's like really poorly kept type yeah. thing because in the industry it was well known outside maybe not so much did, um, we, did we talk about this on the show i feel like this was yes. something we tackled in a really early episode we yeah we did uh we I think, certainly I think he- did I think that was when it started coming to a head is when we, like, started the show. Yeah, 2016 was when there was – because BuzzFeed did another report on it then. Oh, yeah. I think so. It, like, brought Uh, it back up. So, uh, long story short, Braganza got fired after the BuzzFeed uh, article, uh, even though he had been demoted and he had also gone through human resources and paid his penance, if you will. Uh, since then, he's been building homes for the homeless in Mexico and working as a teacher teaching comics. Uh, meanwhile, Eric Esquivel was, you know, kind of making the rounds in the business, building a name for himself. He was doing Border Town, which was part of the uh, Vertigo stuff. Yep. Um, he was Great. doing, you know, Adventure Time. He was, you know, he was making the rounds. Um, in 2018, he was a- a- accused of sexual abuse of emotional abuse we talked about that on the show as well um and the allegations were heavy they were they were pretty damning um and it resulted in him basically being shunned by the industry uh border town was uh canceled as a result of the the other members of the creative team no longer wanting to work with him uh Esquivel was supposed to write nightwing that got canned uh, so basically, both of these guys fell off the face of the earth. Now to today, it was announced that uh, these two would be teaming up. 
Uh, they would be starting Alternate Empire, which is their their new publishing house, and they would be launching a new comic title that they'd be working on together with artist Jocelyn Ojeda, Ojeda, something like that. Um, and this is actually an artist that uh, Berganza recruited from his comics classes that he be that he was doing, and they're going to do a Kickstarter on March first for this book. And for uh, the future of their publishing house. So I'm going to read a little bit from the statement that they put out with the announcement. And kind of, you know, talks a little bit about where they've been at. Uh, Eddie had this to say. These last two years have been very transformative for me. It allowed me to take a very hard look at myself and my past actions. It demanded that I be a better person. It also allowed me to get more in touch with my Latino roots to my volunteering in Mexico, building homes and teaching. The latter brought me into contact with many talented people, like our artist Jocelyn. She is amazing, and what you will be seeing from her is just the start of what I be- what I believe will be an amazing career for her. As for our writer, Eric Esquivel, again, I saw someone very talented who still has a lot to say. We have helped each other out, and I believe we can leave our past behind and unite. We can be we united. We can be better people. I hope you will join me, Eric, and Jocelyn on this journey. Eric had this to say: When I fell from grace. L.A. Latino creative community caught me, and Eddie Berganza was a big part of that. Having had a similar experience years before, Eddie knew how tempting the path to bitterness and self-destructiveness was going to be, so he reached out despite not knowing me very well and offered to share the insights he had gleaned during his time away from the spotlight working on himself. Eric encouraged me to hold myself accountable for the mistakes I have made, tried to make amends whenever possible, Sorry, this is a lot. And continue to find ways to serve the community. Uh, that's that's about all I need to read. So the book is called El Ronin. And long story short, it's about a Japanese-American person who um, comes to... Uh, let me see if I can... Yeah. He uh, defends his Mexican-American neighbors from a cabal of corrupt ICE agents who are trying to extort them. I just said a mouthful. I love how Marco just started laughing. <laughs> the industry is very much on fire. There are a lot of angry people. And this is a complex story. So who has the thought out the gate? Marco, you had a, an immediate reaction. All right. So I have mixed feelings because there are definitely creators that who I know are shitty people, but whose work has impacted me. And it's hard to not be conscious of it and actively be dissonant, but to understand that these are artists and that's not an excuse, but simply that these are artists and I, to, to certain extents, I can make the delineation between their personal and artistic life, however much their each one is informed. But I think, because of again how how much they affect me i'm willing to see the art first um and i think for these creators who again no doubt shitty people but border town was doing something it was saying something and i think that's important and i think that um i mean this seems to be equally along the lines of you know where he was going with border towns equally trying to be poignant 
um, and I'm willing to give it, I'd be willing to give it that shot. Um, especially considering that, you know, he said that he'd gone to, to Mexico. He was doing these things, was trying to like, in my opinion, sort of refocus regardless of what he had done previously. Like there's, there should be a limitation to, there should be a limit to where you can morally say, okay, fine, you've done this, time has passed, people change. Obviously, we need to see the effects of those change to actually be able to say, okay, cool, you are a different person. But there should be a period of time where this should be okay. And I don't think it's fair to malign creators based off of what has been done in the past who have then actively tried to change and then continue to hold them to those previous, continue to hold their feet to the, like that previous fire. Um, one of the one of the examples one of my professors when I was doing music used to say was like, "Yo, Mozart was one of the most incredible musicians, or whatever." But Loki, this dude was like a pervert. Uh, he would actively get drunk, actively be indecent, and potentially had some kind of mental illness. Um, but we teach him for what he has done in in the art and i think that that should apply across any sort of medium um but obviously you know take with a grain of salt that these people have done these things so at what point do we reflect back and see them for what they produce and i think that this is I'm willing to to see what they produce uh, in this example. So um, I'll I'll respond to that and then and share my own thoughts in the same process. Where I I think that um, I have a really hard time with that approach to judging an artist um, because I I don't think that you can, and not that you can't. I don't feel like I can um sever a creator from their work you know and i think it's one thing to um appreciate the work of somebody who has done things that are bad or who you disagree with i think there's room for that but i think when it comes to like comparing the situation of these two men to that of like mozart is like tough for me because it's really easy to like have that hindsight or like talk that way about somebody who you're really far removed from who lives in a totally different cultural context than we are right now. Whereas like the things that these guys did are, you know, recent, the people that they affected are like alive and, you know, um, very likely still dealing with ramifications of their actions. And in the case of um, Eddie, where it sounds like he went and, you know, has done, you know, he's taught and he's done charity work and he's done these things that seem like they are representative of self-reflection, um, that might be true. And he might genuinely be making an effort to be a better person and learn from his mistakes. And I think that's great. Um, that, to me, is where you draw the line right when it's a living creator is like 
you know, do they take any ownership over the fact that they've done something wrong and and try to be a better person? Because if not, you're allowing a platform and putting a, a person on a pedestal that they're going to use to do those same things again, right? Like the reason he was able to get away with this for so long was because people were doing what you're suggesting, Marco. It's like, well, he does great work, right? Like, yeah, maybe he creates a hostile work environment for women and sexually harasses them and, you know, whatever, but but he does great work. It's like, well, okay, there are a lot of people who are capable of doing great work without doing that. So why are we giving this guy a platform in that way? I have I have to intervene because that's not what Marco was talking about. Yeah, I was going to respond to Go like, ahead. just the con like like the the example with respect to um Mozart was more so like conceptually if you can like we can use any sort of example but like conceptually the idea of of uh someone does something retaliation and then reprobation like they they're they're those those steps are uh, are applied every, everywhere and there is a certain degree to which you can not excuse but accept that had a creator not done this or not done an act necessarily but had had that creator not been allowed to the works wouldn't be produced works are unique but the circumstances upon which they're created i don't think are mm. so and the reason I take it to that extreme example, right, is I, I think the the thing that really rubs me the, the wrong way about this is the language with which they're kind of talking about it, right? Because I – Eddie has gone and done all these things. Great. With Eric, like his statement feels like he's very much painting himself as like a victim, right? When I had my fall from grace, like the artist community picked me back up and helped me rebuild and it's like – you're not the victim, man. You're the you're the perpetrator. You're the one who did the thing. Like you didn't have a fall from grace for no reason, you know? And that to me doesn't feel like someone who's done self-reflection or tried to work on themselves or any of those things and we have these two guys, you know, throwing in together. So like that makes me look at what Berganza has done and said with a little bit of, you know, um suspicion, I guess. You know, sure. where it isn't as simple as, well, he went away and he worked on himself and he's changed and he's a different person. I believe that that's possible. You know, there that's totally, right? Like, people are, are able to be redeemed and deserving of second chances um, in certain cases, right? But I think for someone who's, like, a living artist that we're going to decide, like, okay, we're giving this person the pass. We're going to support them again. We're going to support their work, like... For me, I need to see that change. I need to believe that they're a person who's not going to just create a position where they have power again and just go right back to being a bad dude, you know? Sure. Because if that's the case, like, I don't think that his artistic contributions are worth creating another machine with which he can use to, you know, harass people. Let's let's let Kale get a word in. <sighs> I don't know. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. I, you know, uh, uh, Pete hit it on the money when he he talked about uh, Eric Esquivel's uh, victim narrative. He he did the same thing maybe two weeks after he uh, after the uh, the ramifications and the the uh, the uh, allegations and everything came out. 
he got back on Twitter and painted himself as this uh, victim that was um, uh, wrongfully maligned by the SJW crowd. And uh, this is horseshit. And Eddie Berganza worked at DC for 15 years. But he goes to Mexico for two and oh, he's, he's so changed. Okay. All right. Right. Sure. I just, I don't buy it. I mean, they can make comic books all they want, but I, I'm, frankly, I'm mad we're talking about it. Like, <laughs> I don't want to give them the, the airtime. Like, this whole thing is, is garbage. And I, I think what sucks, and, and I, I'm not going to claim this thought of my own. I, I think I saw uh, Ramon Villalobos say this. Uh, it was something to the effect of what sucks is now there's going to be this uh, comics publisher who is uh, cashing in on their Latin American identity, but they're also sexual predators. Yeah, that was definitely an angle because they're they're very much promoting this publication as you know, Latinx first. So, like, it's very much about Latinx issues, you know, Latin creators, yada, yada, yada. Um, and it, when I first read this, I thought, I interpreted that as a shield. That was my uh, read. That's a really, really good, Yeah, that's a great point. I, I can definitely say, I see a conversation uh, where it's like, oh, well, they can't say anything else about us being sexual predators because then they're just against Mexican people. It, it was also like um, Ed, Eddie Braganza said, you know, I've been embracing my Latin roots. Um, and that makes me that I interpret that to mean and I could be wrong that he didn't really, really have a relationship with himself as a, a, a you know, a Latin Spanish person prior to his you know journey to Mexico, that that was not a major part of his identity um, and that now. It, it is um, fine. My my feelings on this are very split. Again, when I first saw this, it's like, wow. Like, is there a worse if you're if you're either one of these people? Is there a worse person that you could align with? Like, like, <laughs> yeah, like why would you do that? What if you might as well might as well get together with uh, Woody Allen and make uh, film properties like. <laughs> Starring yeah. Louis C.K. <laughs> I was going to uh, say, what's Put together that? by uh, fucking Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, Why not? I, saw, I saw that online, too. What, yeah, what's someone... his name? Uh, Kevin, oh, is Sp- that... Kevin Spacey and Woody Allen are teaming up. <laughs> it, it's just it just, it's just, crazy, right? And, and I get it. Like, okay, I understand how they could have linked up. It makes sense. But it's just it just doesn't seem like a smart thing to do. It doesn't seem like your marbles are all there if you would do something like that. Maybe find someone who has a good reputation who can lift you up. Um, but I agree with Marco in the sense that uh, we have this this problem. Uh, I can speak to it in America at least, where someone who does something wrong in society is branded with a scarlet letter forever. And I don't think that that's right. Uh, people go to prison and we don't care about people that are in prison. And it doesn't matter why they're there. P- people in prison are not human anymore. And when they get out of prison, it's 
it's almost impossible to live a regular life, which is why so many people go back to prison because yeah. no one in society wants to mess with you. You can't get a job. You know, you're, 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 you have the scarlet letter on you. And I don't suggest that uh, these people, you know, deserve or, or, or that it, you know, yeah, that they deserve the right to be let back into the comics community. But that's the that's the thing, right? Is like the 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 comics community is as much a marketplace as it is a community, in the sense that the market will decide whether or not they have the right to work here. Um, and people like Marco, who know what they did and choose to buy the book anyway, because he wants to see what the story is, are just as valid as people who say, "I'm not going to buy this book because I know what these people did." Um, and of course, there are people who don't know anything who will buy the book on its merits, and yep. that will be the judgment. Um, I, go ahead. I, I don't know. I, do you think? Uh, and and I don't mean that to denigrate your point yeah, or the conversation. It, just like the people who don't know anything, it's just like I mean, they're probably just buying Batman, right? Like, <laughs> I I just meant like people. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why I stuck to that. It's not. I. I wasn't trying to throw down your argument or anything. Yeah. I just that that hit me, and I went, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I just mean like there, there, there may be people out there who see this book and don't know anything and just buy it on the merits and you know like mm. it or don't. Yeah. And don't recognize so, the names. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, I, I choose because it's happening anyway. I choose to look at the pros. What are the pros? It's a new comics publisher, which could mean more opportunities for people to work. Their angle is that they want to represent Latin people, which means that hopefully more Latin people will have opportunities to work in the industry. We always need more of that. Uh, if Eddie Braganz is working at this school and he's pulling and plucking students from the school to work, that means new opportunities for new creators that we've never heard of before, like this artist, Jocelyn. Um, and those are good things. Now, should we watch them closely? Yeah, I totally think we should. I think that we should take seriously any type of allegation about either one of them that would come forward at this point because they have done this before. Um, but we can't stop it. And quite frankly, I think that if a person is saying, hey, I'm trying to change, I have changed, I'm doing better. Um, everyone has the right to say, no, I don't want this, but I would be cautious about how much grace we're lacking as a people when every time someone says, hey, I've changed, we say no, and we, we close the door on those individuals forever. I think if you look at history, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about it, if you look at history, there are a lot of people who started their lives off badly or, or had a history of doing bad things that did change and changed a lot and had a positive influence on society after that. Malcolm X is my go-to example when I have this conversation. He was a goon as a young person. You know, he wasn't a good guy. And he went to prison, he did his time, and he changed, and he became a better man. And we regale him in history now. But if we had cut him off at the legs the way we would do it today, we never would have had Malcolm X. He would have died a no one. And I'm not saying that these guys are going to do Malcolm X things, so please don't 
DM me about that. I'm just saying <laughs> that grace can be a positive thing and people can change. That's all. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's a good a good point to make. Um, and I, I think – I guess not to push back on it, but I guess just to put my final nail in the coffin here is I think I – I get very um, sensitive about these kinds of issues because I think while it's a fairly recent development, our kind of cancel culture, right, what we like to call it, um, it's not without merit because I think when you look at some of the people at the forefront of those kinds of things, right, like – your Harvey Weinsteins or your Louis C.K.'s or whatever, a lot of these people have been allowed to do this for years, for decades with impunity. And I think that we're seeing that snap back now because the far extreme was the norm for so long. And, um, you know, I think, yes, it is absolutely true that people are deserving of a second chance if they are willing to make amends and try to work and grow and be a better person and dedicate their life towards doing positive things moving forward. But I think far too often we take the, oh, yeah, I did a bad thing. I want to move forward as enough and and then don't keep that that eye on them that you're talking about there, Sean. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, like, Let's let's see what happens from here, I guess, right? If they're saying that they're better people, they're changed people, I hope that's true. I hope they have made amends. I hope that the people that they victimized feel as though they've made amends and like can move on from it because I think that's the person that gets far too often forgot about in that, that conversation. We pardon this other person's actions and don't think about the damage that they've really caused and like the people who might still be suffering. Unfortunately, there's no way to heal that. Yeah. Um, we will see what happens going forward. But I want to have some fun now because we just did something very Please. heavy. <laughs> so I have some news that I think you guys might like. And I really, <gasps> really pregnant? wish. Me? No. I'm, I'm supposed to be dead after the fact that you said that you got Jean Grey and that dumbass <laughs> who, which X-Men are you? I'm supposed to be dead. Am I pregnant? Not, <laughs> not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that Kale would the, be pregnant and not know it. <laughs> I, I like the begrudging hesitance <laughs> from Sean. No, no, no. <laughs> Uh, I, I wish Phil was here for this, uh, but he's not. What's going on, guys? <laughs> I guess he is. Oh, yeah, never mind. Uh, it's basically Loki, the same thing. The television show on Disney Plus, the upcoming show, has cast Owen Wilson. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. In a major wow. role. Um, oh, major role. Wow. Yeah, major. Wow. <laughs> Wow! Wow! Was the oh, was wow. was the game count how many wows we can meme? 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> wow, what a game. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, you guys are so creative. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it just it moves me to moves me to tears. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> There's no word on who he'll be playing uh, or what we can expect other than, again, a major role. So, I was curious as to what character you guys think Owen Wilson is suited for in the MCU. <laughs> no wow, fucking idea. <laughs> well, if it's if it's... It's a major role in Loki. That's so hard to peg because we don't really even know what the scope of that is too much, right? Like, they haven't really told us much about what it's about. Uh, way long back, I feel like they had talked about this was going to be the Loki from the Loki that gets away in Endgame. In Endgame, yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's really all we, we know. Rip good Loki. Likely, yeah. So I, I, I truly, I'm at a loss here, man. <laughs> like I'm trying to think, who's a blonde guy with a crooked nose who goes wow all the time? You know, I don't know. <laughs> Damn, who the, f- who even? Do you have any Yo. ideas, Sean? Do you have any like in the in the chamber while we like are cooking? Hell no. <laughs> what if it's, what if this it's isn't Danny as easy Rand? as Jennifer Aniston? <laughs> Well, what's, what's the question, Kale? Or what'd you say? What if it's Danny Rand? <laughs> what if they're what wow. if they're rebranding? They're gonna recast. Oh my god! He was in Shanghai Nights. That <laughs> yeah, like twenty years ago. <laughs> sure, Jackie Chan's still doing movies. That's bad. Um, yeah, I don't. I couldn't even hazard a guess. Like, I don't know. Um. I feel like he's gonna be like a shield agent or somebody like he's gonna be like a new character do you think he'll be owen wilson <laughs> that i would like that could I, be I, cool i like that idea particularly because we know it's a quote-unquote major role so i love the idea that like loki like accidentally kidnaps owen wilson and he's just his sidekick the whole movie but it's him as himself sounds great it's not a movie it's a tv show but <laughs> you get what i mean so, wow, are you Tom Hiddleston? Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, God, wow. Out of seven comments on the comicbook.com article regarding this, uh, three of them include wow. <laughs> That's it? Only three? <laughs> seems low. I don't, Well, there's only seven comments. Um, and uh, one of them, actually, none of them have a suggestion. Asked you who we could play. I really thought you were gonna tee us up with something. No, none of them none of them have any type of suggestion. So I think that the internet is actually as uh perplexed as we are. Like I've I've literally got nothing. I drew I've drawn a total blank here. You know what? I'd like to see him as uh, as a fractions hawkeye. What? I, yeah, You're I, just picking blonde guys with similar haircuts. Yeah. That he could have played like 20 hey, years hey, ago. Pete? Hey, hey, fucking Pete, what else you got? 
I got nothing. nothing. Pete's sitting here screaming into the microphone about how he doesn't have anything, but I'm sitting here shooting off ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Can I even scream in this segment? (laughs) Would you quiet down? (laughs) (laughs) So... So I had to go to Wikipedia because I'm like, who the fuck even is in like a Loki related Thor related thing? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's somebody called Zarko. Wow. He is the Tomorrow Man, otherwise known as Boris the Tomorrow Man. <laughs> Boris he comes from the twenty third, the twenty third century, and he has genius level intellect, advanced scientific technological skills. And possesses futuristic weaponry. We're going wow. That sounds like that sounds like a Marvel booster gold, and that sounds like an Owen Wilson character. <laughs> what was the character's name again? Zarko, Z A R R K. All right. Uh, Comics Pals exclusive. Owen Wilson is playing Zarko in the Loki Fair. television series. That was a fun game. Wait, real? Oh my god! So I searched. I searched Boris the Tomorrow Man, and the first actual. Oh, like, I don't like this. <laughs> the first actual thing that comes up is the is the character on the Marvel database fandom, but the images are all a much different Boris. Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> wow, guys, we gotta get Brexit done. Come on, I hate the EU. Come on, guys, hang on, hang on. I got this one. I got this. Come on, I hate the EU. Come on. <laughs> Wow, what an impression. Aye, aye, aye. Wow. I'm going to um, add a ding for every wow. Yeah. The wow counter. If you're, if you're listening yeah. to this, you should take a shot for every time one of these idiots said wow. Wow. Oh, no. You're going to kill him, Sean. Wow. <laughs> Harris is dead right now. <laughs> He's dead on the floor. <laughs> no, Harris doesn't drink. Sorry. Um, Ryan, Ryan is dead Ryan's on the floor. Dead. Yeah, Ryan's <laughs> dead. Rachel Conrad's fucking drinking him under the table. <laughs> that I believe she can hold her liquor. Yeah. By the way, she's I, small but stout. As an aside, I've never understood that phrase. As someone drinking someone under the table. I was very confused by that. I guess yeah, you drink that. until they pat, like they fall under the table. But I, well, who the I hell don't, falls like that? I don't I have no idea. Or I'm are you drinking? A guess. Are you drinking more under the table? Therefore, <laughs> drinking more. <laughs> They're laying under the table, but still drinking. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't know. That's one of those weird mm-hmm. ones. So we talked about X Men earlier. We talked at length about where the X Men are going and and you know what titles we can expect. And one of the titles we can expect is Hellions. We didn't know exactly what Hellions was going to be about. Um, we knew that we knew the team. We knew you know things like that. Um, Zeb Wells and uh, Steven Segovia on are the creative team for that title, um, but now we we know that uh, Hellions will include the Goblin Queen, the return of Ooh. Madeline Pryor. There have been too much too much pepper, too much pepper on this news. <laughs> there have been several allusions to Inferno, uh, which of course is the Marvel Comics event from the '90s that starred the Goblin Queen. And now she is making her grand return. So the solicit that Marvel sent out is 
When Krakoa opened their doors to all mutants and forgave all past crimes, they might have known they'd have to accept some of their worst foes into the fold, but they didn't plan for what to do with them. Not to worry, Mr. Sinister knows what to do with the troublemakers. Meet his new Hellions, Scout, Scout Hunter, Wild Child, Empathy, Nanny, Orphan Maker, Psylocke, and Havoc. Under Sinister's direction, they are sure to become productive members of mutant society. Writer Zeb Wells and artist Steven Segovia bring you the team you're going to hate to love. Uh, and it says, the Goblin Queen returns to shake things up in Hellions. Uh, the, the the teaser image is a very, very scantily clad Goblin Queen stepping on one of those, um, what's that? Like the, I don't know, one of those ritual things. Summoning circles. Yeah, summoning circle. Uh, and she's stepping right on uh, Havoc's face, and he's like yelling. It's it's his face within the the circle, and he's like yelling, and it just it looks really cool. It's Damn, bro. Uh, she can step on me anytime. Yeah, I was waiting. I was waiting for that joke. I stand by it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they've been teasing this since one of the House or Powers, like the earlier ones. I don't remember what it, which it was, but where it was kind of like. It had those kind of like cryptic descriptions of a bunch of mutants that were going to be important. And there were like as far back as that, they've been dropping hints that Madeline Pryor was going to be back on the board at some point. So really interested to see what that means, like what is really going to go on there. But I think it's uh, I, I I mean, this as no shade to Steven Segovia. His his art looks dope as hell on on this uh teaser image but it's a real mistake not to have chris anka on this book just updating that lingerie look to hell <laughs> hell indeed well i'm hyped because madeline Pryor is a jean gray knockoff and uh she looks mighty and if you don't good. like the jean gray you got you gotta go for the jean the jean gray knockoff nice try See that's that's the thing though. I feel like this is like the best of both worlds because like you you look at like the evolution of Madeline Pryor, right? And it's like you got Jean Grey, she's the girl next door. Madeline Pryor, she's the scary girl from you know the mall or whatever. I don't know. Looks like she came out of a hot topic, right? I mean, come on, Marco. Who's my Madeline Pryor? Who's your Madeline Pryor? I don't even Murphy. How to answer that? Oh, (laughs) Murphy. It's definitely Tyler. You, you think? Yeah. <laughs> He's a good boy. No, that's the oh, opposite that's of what he had. Gray. Tyler's <laughs> that would mean Gray. Tyler's Gene and Matt's Madeline. That's funny. <laughs> that tracks. I'm certain neither one of them will hear that, but that's really funny. <laughs> um, Yeah, I, I'm really excited for this. I'm going to say this, and I'm, you know, I don't, I don't mean to shade, um, but I thought that when she did make her return that it would be a bigger deal and that it would be handled by Hickman so um that's funny yeah go ahead I so I stopped reading the X-Men up until the point where Madeline Pryor entered the picture so like all of my previous X-Men stuff um like the Claremont stuff was up until um she was like the the new Jean Grey and like we don't know who she is and whatnot. And that's where I stopped. So I had no idea that she is a Goblin King. Queen. Um, or Queen. 
and F the gender binary. She's the king of hell. <laughs> Fair enough. Mephisto, but okay. She's Mephisto, Son you're right. Bitch. She can she can Mephist mm-hmm. me. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, hello, Jess. The dumbest thing I've ever said. <laughs> wow. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> wow. Oh, boy. All right. And speaking of the X-Men, we've got a double dose of X-Men reviews for you guys here in the main topic of the show. We're going to be reviewing X-Men number five and X-Force number six. Double dose. You sound like a, like a, like a small town radio DJ where they're like, we got a double shot of Led Zeppelin <laughs> coming up for you next. <laughs> I wish I was a small town radio DJ, dude. I'm about to pack up and go. That's my future radio, That's man. That's a gig. Yeah. <laughs> That's my future in radio. Yeah, dude. Oh. Worked for Phil, right? Be way better than this stupid job. All right, Phil is back. Phil made it. Wow. Uh, And he's uh, he's he's in rare form at the moment. For those of you who can't see this, he hasn't stopped moving. (laughs) I'm afraid something's wrong. Yeah, just always fired up, you know, passionate about acting. Wow. So, uh, just just a quick question before we get into our X Men Five review, Phil. Uh, Is it random? No, it's not random. We did that already. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think that uh, the one and only Owen Wilson could be playing in the Loki Disney Plus series? I don't know what a Loki is, but uh, if he's anything <laughs> like me, we're both kind of Loki guys. Now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never told anyone this, but I uh, I really gravitated toward the leader because when Marvel came to me, they said you got you get to play a guy with a big head, and I was like, wow, I want a big head. That'd be rad. Wow. So the leader. Yeah, I, I'm not much of a leader, but you know what? I do things my own way. Wow. I feel like I feel like you're you're becoming Owen Wilson in a way that you've never really embraced the role before. Like this is really I that's really that's that's crazy cuz to become a good actor I really had to become Owen Wilson. That's exactly right. I, like, I had to become me. I feel like his no- wow. his nose even looks more crooked to me for some reason. <laughs> I think it's because it keeps moving. It's like one of those pencils when you move it, it waves. <laughs> I, I also could play Cyclops, you know, just put a visor over me and I can imagine blowing people up. That'd be that'd be crazy. Wow. All right, Owen. And I, All right, I always slim. thought. Hold on. I always thought Cyclops' brother with Havoc, his relationship with him, was a lot like mine and Luke, you know? I'm always carrying my little brother, Havoc, making him relevant, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I guess, yeah. I always like Luke more, I think. That's cool, man. You know, like Loki, we're both Loki guys, you know? I don't mind. (laughs) All right, cool. So, thank you for... You do you, machacho? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for that. Uh, we're going to get into yeah. our X-Men number five review starring Owen Wilson as Cyclops. This this was a, this was a pretty uh, major issue in terms of implication 
Um, and, and it does have a lot going in, going on. This is Hickman and, uh, actually RB Silva returning from powers of 10. He, he did a bang up job on that. Beautiful. Yes. And, uh, so he's back. Um, what do you guys think of this issue? I, for me, similar to, um, what I said about Marauders was last week. Uh, very pumped. That stuff is finally happening. (laughs) Yes, and and this this to me feels the most like Hoxpox, and it could be could be the art style, but I I also like uh, link it to like the the crazy information pages as well. Like I I think it's the closest to what we saw in Hoxpox, uh, as opposed to everything else. Yeah. I, I definitely agree. In fact, I would I would say that both X Force and uh, uh, X Men Five feel like they are living up to the promise of what Hoxpox delivered and, and kind of said Dawn of X would be more than any other title that we've seen. Yeah, it's like it's like Hoxpox was WrestleMania and it you know ended and then like everything after was kind of that dry season for a little bit, you know. And now we're in SummerSlam, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I really, really love the implications of this issue. So we're getting ba- basically Professor Xavier and and you know Cyclops and Storm and Armor for some reason have put together a a little team, and it's a it's a reconnaissance team that's going to break into this. This dome. I swear to God, there's a dome in every single Jonathan Hickman story. There's always a dome. <laughs> Domes are cool, man. They're the Owen Wilson of actors. This is the third time that he's used the city concept. Loves getting a little dome. Wow, me too. He also, I don't know. I, it's in, uh, in, I think it's in this book. Uh, the Maker is also referenced. I mean, the city is his is his gimmick, so it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jonathan Hickman definitely goes back to the well, and it feels like a lot of his books. If you read, if you've read his earlier stuff, you can figure out where his books are going to go because he always does this. He fucking does it well, I tell you. What. He certainly does. Um, I loved. There were a few moments in this issue that I loved. I loved the moment where um, X twenty three. Is 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 uh they're they're kind of talking about her. Cyclops says, um, X twenty three who like Wolverine, and then uh, she says, actually I'm Wolverine, and then Wolverine says, you tell him, hell yeah, you I are. love that sequence. Yeah, I did yep. like that. That was cool. Um, so this issue was a weird one for me because I I definitely picked up on some of what you guys are saying in terms of like I think the art's really great and I think the implications of this issue are interesting. But overall, I felt like it was a little bit all over the place. Like, I, I feel like this is the the most lost I've ever felt in the in this era of X-Men. Welcome to Hoxpox, baby. We're back in the territory. Oh, oh! Yeah, and, like, th- there's a possibility that that's the case, right? That, like, we're supposed to leave this feeling like I'm confused and it, it's going to be more apparent to me as the story progresses and if that's the case i'm all in because to your point about hoxpox like that was 
that was what we talked about every week is like, what the hell is going on? And eventually it was the when the web was unraveled, it was interesting and it worked. So if we eventually, get, we still don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, so if this is that kind of thing, then I think that I'll feel that way next time. Right. When I'm like, oh, you know, when stuff starts to click into place. But in this issue, I felt a little bit like just behind, I guess. Like I had to read it twice and was still kind of just like, I don't ah, I don't know. But what are you confused yeah. about? That's a good question. Well, Marco, you said you agreed with me. What what like what about it was was tough for you to follow? So I, I think like narratively, definitely agree that it's someplace where we're in like a similar place where Hoxbox was, where we're just kind of just like, are right, we trying to figure this out, trying to see what what the end game is? Um, to me, what I I thought was like structurally, I think the story had a little bit of issues and like the way it was telling or the way it was showing some of the the events. I think sometimes I would have to like read over a page where I wasn't necessarily sure that okay, a character did this and then did this, and then I, I was just trying to like understand that. Like for example, the part where like the hand he um where Darwin reaches out with the hand, but they had they had also mentioned that there's no technically like portal, but then they had also brought in the cocoa seed to like get into the thing, but it wasn't explicitly shown, and you had to like sort of figure out what was going on. So for me, it was more so like the structure of the story and less so the narrative. Hmm. Yeah, because I, I honestly, I'm I I have a hard time putting my finger on it because like when I. I read the issue last night and then I reread it again this morning and I felt the same way where I was like, I was like, maybe I was tired and I just missed something or whatever. And in general, I just like, I feel like this whole escalation of things feels like it's like a little sudden. Like I know like we've been kind of like aware of what's been going on with the, with um, the children and everything. But like, I don't know. It just feels like it's like it went from zero to a hundred, I guess. Yeah. and, And who are the children again? All right. So, Way back in uh, X-Men number one, I believe, they were on a mission, and it may have it may have been in Hoxbox, but I think it was an X-Men. I think it um, was one. They fought the, the Nazi guerrillas or whatever. Yes. That was an X-Men. <laughs> that was one. And, yeah. and they found yeah. those kids, the children of the vault, and one of them escaped, and it was this one, Serafina. And the implication is that on the low, they've been tracking her. Wolverine found her, tracked her to this vault, and they need to go inside to see what the hell it is um, because they are worried about what this could mean for the future of mutants. Um, they're not able to get in by normal means, so they need to put this, you know, this unique team together that has the power set that will allow them to circumvent the problem of entering this space. And so that's really all that happened in this issue. Um, I enjoy that a lot because it's very high high concept sci-fi wise. They're going into this space where time passes by so fast or at such a different rate than our regular world that hundreds of years will go by while they're inside that while they're inside the vault uh it's a similar concept to the world cyclops actually makes reference to it i think in the book the world is where um 
Oh, shoot. Uh, Weapon X. It has something to do with Weapon X. It, you can read about it in Uncanny X-Force Recommenders Run. Um, and uh, it's just a, it's really cool. And this is very similar to that. It's very similar to the city from that the maker always has. And I love the, the, the sci-fi element of it. I like the idea that these characters are lost. I like the idea that now... Cyclops has this burden on him because he made this choice to send them and now they may never come back again. They're probably dead on the other side of this. Um, I just think that there's a lot of meat to that idea. When will they follow up with it? Probably not anytime soon. I would imagine that there's going to be some kind of miniseries or something that will address this. I don't think X6, X-Men 6 will be the follow-up to that. Probably not. Especially because that really isn't how the series has worked, you know? Like, every issue has been kind of standalone among the broader story. Yeah. Hey, you you, you, you pick something, you let it breathe for a while, you come back later. Yeah, yeah which is, that's cool, I guess. Um, I don't feel like I need an immediate follow-up on this. They told me it was going to take, like, 500 years, so I can wait some time. <laughs> yeah, you can wait like 499 years, you know. Something I thought was interesting was Professor X says it's going to be like about three months their time. I wonder if it'll be in about three to four months publication time that we get an answer. That would be interesting. Well, no, they said there was that three months have passed, right? No, he was saying that it would I, it would take them three months in their time. No, no, three. So it says much later. Right and in the caption box. How long? Three months, five days. Oh, some I I mix I missed the caption box. Okay. Right, right. Because then, because then he says, but for them, it's been like a thousand or something years, or whatever five, he says. Five hundred thirty-seven years. Years, yeah. Okay. Right, right. So, oh, so that's messed up. If they, if they, if they exit the vault, will they then be in? A version of one of the potential futures that we saw in Powers. That seems oh, probable. Yeah. Damn. Wait. We were talking about how they had to like tie that in at some point. That's really interesting. Hmm. But but the vault is just like a separate space, right? It doesn't reflect whatever is being. It doesn't reflect the outside like, uh, reality. Uh maybe you're right, but that's not the way that I look at it. In my in my brain, time for them is passing extremely fast and so whenever they get out that much time will have passed i don't think so no, no. i think it i think it works like the um like interstellar the training the the thing that um goku goku trains oh in. yeah the hyperbolic, yeah. In, uh, the hyperbolic, time, the hyperbolic chamber. time chamber uh time speeds up so he can no time slows down so that he can train more but he comes out and he's basically the same but stronger right. So okay, so, okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, uh, yeah, that very well may be, be correct. Yeah, if that's going to be the interesting thing. Is is it one or the other? Are they going to come out and be so much older, or because the older they're dead? Five hundred years. <laughs> well, are they not five hundred years? Probably not. Logan twenty three. Right, she could live that yeah. long. Logan's not five hundred years old. Yeah, He's, but in um, no, I mean, Kale but he was in, in the future, future timeline, isn't he? That was yep. that was X. Oh yeah, that was X one thousand. That was X like X. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. still kicking. Okay, well, she might be alive, but the other two certainly wouldn't be. Well, no, I didn't get the one guy could because he could copy her powers, right? And then Darwin 
Darwin assumingly yes also because I forgot what there was something he he mentioned that he might like, he might die. That might be the thing. <laughs> hmm. He died 400 years ago <laughs> on this mission. I will say Ecuador doesn't look like that. My only gripe with oh, the here art. we go. <laughs> Who doesn't what? He Ecuador said Ecuador doesn't, look, doesn't like look like that. My only gripe with the art. Oh, I wouldn't know. Yeah, so um, in the actual text, they don't talk about how the power set of these three mutants, Sink, Darwin, and uh, X-23, relate to the passage of time. That's not why they were chosen. Yeah. But the way you guys are, are putting it down, it's possible that behind the scenes in Jonathan Hickman's mind, the real reason why they were chosen, or an alternative reason, is because they can also potentially survive that long i actually think it does i think uh darwin uh xavier says um we believe your adaptive powers make you uniquely prepared to evaluate both the atemporal environment and the children themselves uh so yeah atemporal meaning the time part and i i, I took that to mean that he was equipped to understand it and report back yeah that's what that. i interpreted yeah. Well, but his uh, adaptive powers being that he can adapt to it as well. Oh, that's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, that, that's, yeah that's a good point. That's Yeah, that doesn't make sense in that context. And then, you know, what's his name can copy it and or Sink yeah. can copy it and X-23 can just live that long. We assume. Right. Right. And then, and then it, it doesn't super seem like she's sure of that herself. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, I guess there's no way of knowing, but like, you have to imagine she has identical powers to Logan for the most part. So, like, why wouldn't she be capable of surviving for hundreds of years? Has there ever been any evidence of X twenty three living a long time in other like books? Like, well, she has the same healing factor. Yeah. Yeah, but like with Logan, I... we well, one we know he's like a couple hundred years old because of his backstory, but two. Uh, there's been a lot of books published about him living even longer and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's why I ask. I don't think I don't think she's been around long enough that anyone's really explored that. She's a twenty years old. It's never come up, not to my knowledge. But that's what I meant. She hasn't she hasn't been around long enough in the the publication history. But still, I think it's attributed to the healing factor. Like yeah, regardless. Yeah, right. And she has the same healing factor. It's so a right. safe. It's a safe bet. That just like Sabretooth or Dokken or whoever else that she could live a long time. Yeah. yeah. Um, can I just point out how friggin' amazing she looks in this book? Like, yeah. RB Silva uh, does such a good job rendering her costume. Yeah. Their costumes are cool. Yeah. I like those. Mm-hmm. I like those. Yeah. Um, Cyclops has been really fortunate to have like a long history of pretty cool looking costumes, I'd say. Oh, yeah. Cyclops his, is. His Hawksbox era look here with the black and blue it's really nice dude i mean like he just his the whole visor thing is so immediately identifiable and cool that you like you really have a lot of room to iterate you know also uh i know you guys complained about him and i think x-men 3 and i don't mean the movie x3 <laughs> uh but I think he's pretty cool in this issue. He reminds me, uh, it's reminiscent of the issue where they all died on a suicide mission during Hawksbox. And, like, 
Cyclops is always at his best when he has to carry a lot of weight on his shoulders. But the, yeah. the problem, the problem is that he keeps making mistakes. He keeps doing things and then regretting doing them. Why? Why is it that Cyclops is 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 making so many errors in judgment? We we've seen this is like the fourth time that he's done something and then regretted it. And the thing about it is, like this one makes sense. There's yeah. tactical collateral weight to this one that's like they had to do this but yeah the the one with like magic and uh uh uh, uh, cypher um that that one yeah feels weird right and that's that's why this kind of works yeah yeah i agree i i I think the situation is like you can still feel regret in, and, and make mistakes in tactically very complicated things. Um, Cyclops has to make the decisions that no one else does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that comes with a lot of natural regret. Right. But I think, I think the point that Sean's making is I feel like in the past he's been making choices that are like, in retrospect, he feels like they're dumb. And he's like, why did I do that? That was so stupid. I left us vulnerable. This is him being like, I have to make this tough call because I'm a leader and... I have to put people who I'm also supposed to protect on the line and like having that weight on his shoulders. That's a good look, right? Because that makes him look like a competent leader who's willing to make sacrifices for, you know, the mutant kind rather than a guy who is in his position and is making calls that, you know, feel immature and short sighted. This is the exact opposite of that. (sighs) Yeah. Um, it's just a lot of a lot of the same kind of thing, the same kind of beat being hit in a row with this character, and it makes me feel like that's deliberate. And I've been saying that since the start of this whole deal. Um, so if Cyclops is doing what Jonathan Hickman intends the character to do, and there's nothing wrong with Cyclops at all, to me that's weird. Um, but if there is something wrong with Cyclops, that's a story I'm, I'm excited for. Um, I don't really have too much more to say about this issue. I think it looks great. I think the story is interesting. Um, it, it is a little weird. I'm excited to see where they go with the children angle because this is the bridge point between house and powers in the sense of the, the, the present and the future. The, the vault is absolutely, in my mind, where things are going in terms of like how to get to powers, maybe even more than than Nimrod necessarily, or than Mother Mold. Um, I, I did have one other thing I wanted to say. Okay, I wasn't uh, done. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. No. <laughs> well, I was I was gonna jump in to say something too. I have a thing to say too. I know. <laughs> I was just going to ask a question. Does Armor have any other dialogue other than saying that got her when she catches Storm? Is that like literally the only thing that they're in the She says for? something in the meeting. Because I, I was very confused because Sean said like she's here for some reason. I was like, I feel like she didn't even do anything. She does talk. Uh, she does have a, a couple of lines of dialogue at the meeting as well. Um, yeah, she gets a, she gets a close up panel. Okay. Hmm. So I was yeah. just gonna just gonna bring up that um, that the first set of children like that report. I don't know if it 
has any impact like for the future but each one of the those words are in spanish so sangre is blood perro is dog seraphine is like angeled aguja is um like a needle and then fuego is fire so i don't know if that has any context or anything but i just thought it interesting i'm really glad you brought that up because i couldn't i knew some of the words but not all and i was hoping you would be able to fill in the blanks there yeah I, I don't know. I have no clue what that means, but I'm sure it means something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then it's interesting that it looks like it goes up to 600. And for some reason, that's like the max. Um, Just interesting. I don't know. It, it, I'm sure to play it to something like later on. But uh, I was really interested to, to be reading those pages where it's just like, okay, what is this? They're like building up something. It looks like code or something. Uh, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, someone smarter than me will probably have an, some kind of answer as far as what all that is about. Um, yeah, I'll see what I can take out. I'll take uh, a crack at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because he thinks he's smart. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. Damn. You see that jerk? What a dumbass. <laughs> Good clap back. I appreciate you sticking up for me, bud. Um, Hell yeah. So... Uh, the last thing I did have to say about this issue actually was I really love the medical report. Uh, I, th- I I think a lot of the the this kind of material, uh, the infographics and whatnot, have been bad in every other book. Like I really, really haven't enjoyed them, and I wish they would stop doing them because they're not good. They don't even make any sense. Um, this one, though is actually very good and very informative. And it's a small bit of information, but it's the kind of thing I actually believe they would have a record of, not uh, incantations like they're doing in Excalibur. You know, I don't think that someone's going to sit there and type incantations into the the computer, the X computer. But uh, this one talks about Sync because he was recently resurrected. And it talks about the resurrection process, how there is actually an order in which they're re- resurrecting people, which we knew loosely because of destiny. We knew that they were pushing it back and telling Mystique, oh, well, she's just not up yet. Um, and then they would keep playing that game. But here we get more information about the resurrection process in the sense of knowing that they do have an order and that because Sync had been gone for so long, um, uh, and, and they resurrected him early because they needed his power set, but he was isolated, and so it messed with his mind. And uh, in in order to kind of help with that, they resurrected um, uh, Skin, Skin, who was his friend, uh, because they're allies. It could help to uh, uh, get Sync back in the game a little faster. Well, I just thought that was an interesting uh, wrinkle. That's uh, that's a, a thought. Uh you mentioned how they're brought back in an order. I wonder if that's similar to that code uh, that Marco was talking about the the six hundred. Oh, because that you know they have an order to that, and who's first, second? Huh? Yeah, maybe it's like groupings because the implication, like of what Sean just brought up, I thought was that that influenced the way that they decided the order and how they group people. So they are grouping people with similar, they said with like similar backgrounds from similar time periods or whatever. Um, so that there is that support or whatever, so that people don't come back and have, um, cause they were talking about how like, 
he was struggling psychologically because obviously like the world had changed all this time that he'd been dead, but also like all of his peers, all the people who are still alive that he knows have grown up and moved past him and they're like not, you know, his age anymore. They're adults with their, you know, they have nothing in common. So he just has this absolute culture shock. So I'm wondering, maybe the 600 is like the 600 groupings left of mutants that need to be resurrected or something? Don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's mutants. I think it's whatever Seraphina is. I think it's the Oh, oh right, right. The yeah, the children. children. Yeah. Uh, the the thing I, I did want to say, it was cool that uh, the tribute to uh, Jerry Alanguilon Yes, uh, I was on, at the back, and uh, that was very. They've cool. been including that a lot. That's been in the back of um, every uh, X X issue that I've read uh, since he passed. So, oh fuck yeah, good yeah. Uh, great issue, I feel. Uh, soft on actual progression in a you know in an immediate sense, but it definitely does push things forward. Uh, for the future, so I'm very excited to see where things go with that. Uh, so let's jump over to what I believe was the main event and possibly the most important issue of Dawn of X so far. And I don't even understand why it doesn't have a red mark in the reading order. X Force number six. Ooh, did you guys notice there's a parental advisory on on, uh, on the cover? Good. I, yeah, I think it's on a couple of the X books actually. Really? People people melt in this book, man. This is a crazy ass comic. (laughs) Uh, Um, They should also have like a a warning for like people that have heart conditions because the way Jean Grey was drawing this issue, I thought might have given Sean a heart attack. Uh, It did actually. (laughs) I miraculously was able to recover in time for the uh, podcast. So glad I can please my man. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh God! For those of you not watching, Sean had to get up and walk away. Oh, Can't handle God. it. Never again. Oh, it's gonna happen again. Man, these two got real heat, real sparks flying between. The Cut two. it out, love man. It. We love to see Attention. it. Uh, so anyway, regarding X Force number six. <laughs> Titled The Master, which I really enjoy as a name. Uh, Benjamin Percy, Steven Segovia, Guru, Guru FX. Um, this issue is all about the Terra Verde people, who we, I'm pretty sure, have encountered before. Uh, and X-Force kind of, you know, taking the fight to them in a lot of ways. Uh, there's, there's, there's complexity here in terms of... Um, so many characters and moving parts and things like that. I felt because I, I know you guys haven't been keeping up with X Force. I didn't feel like there was so much here that was unfamiliar that you couldn't read this issue divorced of the rest of the run. Did anyone feel lost? Yeah, no, actually, I thought this was a really good like one shot. I thought it was really well written all yeah, around. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I'm not super familiar with Benjamin Percy, but I was like, shit, my man's got chops. So I, I actually uh, caught up with X-Force when you said that you wanted to review this issue. And specifically because I kind of wanted to be able to speak to what had already come before if it did play into it. Um, even though you told us that we probably didn't need to. And yeah, I really feel like it. if you have read issue one, you're like, which we all did, you know everything that this is pulling on. 
Because I think you said like we had met Terra Verde, and I that's I think really their only major appearance is in that first issue, and then the stuff that happened with Wolverine like rescuing Domino and all that. But you know, um, so yeah, I, I think I think this is like a great you can pick up this issue and get what's needed for it for the overall plot, even if you haven't really been checking out the book. But as someone who took the time to catch up, I I'm really glad I did um, because I. I'm with you, Sean. I think this this run has been really good, and I'm kind of surprised that there's that there was a lot of negativity around it. Yeah, and I think a lot of that just stems from the idea of it as a you know Murder Bros comic, uh, and it's definitely a lot more than that. And you know, it's unfortunate that people just kind of you know paint with such a, a wide brush. But uh, be that as it may, this is a very beast centric issue. And I feel like Beast is one of the most important X-Men ever. And a lot of times, he doesn't get the the due that he deserves. Um, And this issue really, really takes him down kind of a darkish path, I would say. Yeah, super morally ambiguous, which I'm not used to seeing Beast in that sort of light. So it was really interesting to to be able to... uh, like examine his thinking too because that's always like his thing is like the rationale behind it well it's five steps ahead it reminds me of when he brought the 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 original five young x-men back in bendis's run but this is done so much better yeah so the 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 issue follows a mission that the x-men are on at terra verde they are they're dealing with this uh uh it's referred to as telefloronics and basically it's these these people that are these plant people that are, I don't know if you want to use the word evolving, but um, you know, they're, they're, they're plant people. Um, and <laughs> there's an assassination attempt made on the president, I guess, of Terra Verde. Um, his, his son is being controlled, or so we think. Um, and it's, of course, later revealed that he's not, and that this, this was all this, this big plot. Now, I mentioned that it follows Beast's um, uh, inner inner monologue, and what we get is the way that Beast thinks about himself in relation to the X-Men, and that's very, very important. Beast sees himself as the... Uh, he's the he's the glue of the X-Men. He's the guy who's willing to do whatever it takes to keep the X-Men alive and to keep them thriving. This is not unique to this book uh beast is this this is the same beast who brought the five back like kale referenced this is the same beast who was on the illuminati and was down to murder uh planets in order to save his own he has a very famous line in that run where captain america asks him are you are you telling me you're willing to kill countless lives in order to save um, our, our Earth, and he said, "You're asking a mutant what he's willing to do to, to protect his people, and that tells you all you need to know about Beast. Beast also has an ego, and I think that this issue re- reflects that ego on some level. Yeah, which I love because it presents him as complicated. Now, mm. I, I know I'm I'm going off here, but Dark Beast is from the Age of Apocalypse. A lot of people are familiar with that character." I love Beast most when there is a thin line 
between the beast we know and love and that dark beast transformation. And this is that. Absolutely. And uh, I think <clears throat> I I really love Beast. He's one of my favorite X-Men. And I particularly am a fan of how Hickman uses him. And I think like the Illuminati stuff that you brought up is like such a great example. And uh, go check out our book club about that if you are interested. Um, and I think this pulls on that in a really good way because I think – both in the intro where he's making the comparison between X-Force and uh, an orchestra. And then at the end when he's talking about how, you know, him effectively like lobotomizing this guy is the right thing to do, you know, not just like tactical or whatever. He's, he's very much moralizing what he's doing. Um, I think that that's such a good it's such a good way to highlight that darker side of the character because ultimately, right? Like I think there are probably lots of readers who would argue that his, what he's doing here is justified and that what he's doing, you know, is for his people and that like, sometimes you do need to make tough decisions. But I think the fact that he looks at it that way and is looking at it that way and puts himself on that pedestal is why it's so concerning because c contrast that to what we were just talking about with Cyclops, where he makes that kind of decision and he agonizes over it. Yeah, because he's far more, I think, um, he's more down to earth because he doesn't have that opinion of himself as someone who's better than other people. Yeah, there, you, you kind of, that's a good, I think that's a good description there, Pete, like a good, good comparison because I think, I think Cyclops agonizes over the human factor. And when Beast is given the longest leash possible, it disconnects him from, you know, his humanity. You know, he's a beast. And it's the last line of the book, right? Where where um, the caption is like, I'm never wrong because I'm five, step, five steps ahead. It's a man who never questions the outcome of his decisions. And he says, sometimes a little wrong makes a greater right. Sometimes bold decisions must be made, and bold decisions are never made by a committee. That's why X-Force exists. That says a lot about what he thinks his role is in he, mutant society. He also pushed Jean Grey to kill these uh, humans who have evolved into plants. And his rationale is very sound, but it's just it's just dark so he's he's saying that these creatures represent the a similar kind of uh, evolutionary step as omega sentinels do um which of course was dealt with heavily in in hoxpox and so we've seen you know uh plants a lot and, and that's come up it came up in x-men and things like that so the fear is is oh what if humans use this telefloronic stuff to evolve in a similar way that uh, humans have bonded with robotics and become Omega Sentinels and the problem that that's represented. That's logically sound, but now they're breaking the rule of kill no human. So he's saying, well, they're not human. They're, they're, they're the equivalent of Omega Sentinels. You can kill them. And that's what they do. And how is that going to be reflected once Professor Xavier finds out what Beast is authorizing? You know, how Cyclops going to feel about this. That's a major deal. Jean Grey killed. 
She's not the only one. Sorry? How'd that make you feel? Pretty good. She's a badass. (laughs) Hell yeah. Uh, I, I particularly like how she responds to it, too. Because I think that's another really important thing, right? Is it's not just that Beast approves this order. He manipulates her into doing it out of, like, fear. And then is like, thank you. You did the right thing. And she's like, don't fucking patronize me. You know, like, I know what you're doing. Yeah, like, and the, exactly. The implication there being that she's aware and still did it anyway. Yeah, right. Go ahead, and, and, and I think that speaks to what you said, where it, it probably was the right call. But the fact that that's how he views his fellow teammates and uses them is, like, very telling about his psychology. Marco, you were trying to jump in. No, I was going to say that same thing. Okay. Um, so we, we see, as, as Pete pointed out, that uh, they end up capturing uh, the son of the president because uh, f- at first they believed that he was under control. But as it turns out, he's actually down with the cause. And, that he was um, kidnapped. Yeah, they, th- they thought he was kidnapped. But as it turns out, he, was, he wasn't. He was down with it. Um, he wanted to see Terra Verde thrive. And telefloronics was it's their thing. It's the thing that's going to catapult them into the future. And he didn't want to see his father get in league with the mutants and prevent that future from coming to fruition. So Beast chooses to lobotomize him. We see, or at least I believe the implication is that Professor X is aware because he, he is present, but maybe he didn't know. Um, but in any event, Beast has this, you know, he thinks he's figured everything out. He's got this big master plan. And then we see this guy literally melt. He melted out of the building. He got away and we see that he's fully plant now. And I love the fact that the, the scene, the shot of that character walking away with his red eyes, the, the caption associated is Beast's inner monologue saying, because I'm never wrong. And we see exactly how wrong he is. Yeah. He should have killed him. <laughs> Classic Marco shit, y'all. You know what, though? That's a ha- it's a half measure. He took, he yeah. took exactly. a half measure. Exactly. That's the thing, man. It's, you know, I think... Uh, one of the things that's so interesting about Hoxpox and all the stuff that's spun out from it is that a lot of the stuff that the mutants are doing now is not clean. You know, like the, the, the I think probably objectively speaking, the correct thing to do would have been to kill him, not to do the, the half measure there, right? Or not even enter that situation in that way in bad faith, right? Like, you expose him for what he is and let his country deal with it. And that isn't what they were going to do because they're a fucking black ops organization. Well, but also it would have impacted their economics. Right. right? Cause yeah. like, cause then they wouldn't have been able to sign the treaty, all that other stuff. It would have, it would have impacted them. So they took their own benefit over the would be benefit of a single life. I won't say they beast beast. Oh, beast, beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> beast as a representative. Yeah. Yeah. We're glossing over the best part of the issue, which is Black Tom's cameo. Cameo? He's, he's a main Black character Tom. in the book. Black Tom's the man. He is the man. Tells you how much of this book I've read. I didn't know he was an X-Force. That kicks ass. Speak on him. 
<laughs> he's a talker, man. I love when he's just uh, saying the beast. He's like, oh, yeah, all I did was intimidate them. And they took off like a bunch of babies. That, uh, <laughs> what's he said? A, a, a wee little babies with wasp in their diapers. <laughs> Who I, talks like that? I, I love the part when uh, when <laughs> when uh, Doom or sorry, Doom, not Doom, Beast is saying um, he's like, oh, something made it difference, and he's like, the difference is Black Tom's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> I I very much got a big ass ego. I very much enjoy the fact that we're talking so much about telefloronics and humans turning into plants, and here we have. Black Tom, a mutant who, who who has done that. That's a part of his mutation now. And I don't know necessarily that there's anything under that. I just think it's really interesting that someone in their league is going through the same changes that they're trying to stop humans from going through. Is and is Domino as well? Because I saw that like her hand was all wooded and, and whatnot. Glad you brought that up. So uh, she actually was destroyed um, uh, by the I forget what the the Reavers or whoever they were in the first. Yeah, issue. you remember those creepy dudes from the, with the masks. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so Forge bonded her with some new weaponry, and it's plant based. It's plant tech because of Krakoa. Um, so she's actually like three parts now kind of um, which is really interesting because of what we're talking about so omega sentinels got brought up here which is humans plus mutants and the the sort of i don't know singularity of that and then um the telefloronics the humans plus plants well she's all that now human and plant she's bonded with she not not human but um uh, machine Oh, machine, she, uh, machine plant. Okay. Yeah. So she's bonded with those things now. Well, and and the I think the implication with the the prince or whatever as he comes back to life because of what Beast did put the nanites in his head or whatever he is the other part of that mutant plant machine. Right. That's mm. yeah. That's a great uh, point too, and, a, and an interesting wrinkle. Well, it's interesting, too, because it's like, is he really human anymore? Because it's like his brain was destroyed. So is it like, is he solo plant? Like, I I kind of got the implication that this is like a whole new thing that wasn't even accounted for now. Yeah, like he's full on whatever this human was. Human plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think whether he's human or not, the, the, the point is that this is the evolution of that beast was trying to stop it's the point yeah, at which right. humans surpass humanity that is the problem we saw that in in powers there were no humans really in that series but it was because of humans ascending that we got to that point and 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 that's one of the moral maybe quandaries that i've had with this whole thing and we talked about that during the hoxbox uh, period which is that if humans are forging their own evolutionary path. I understand why that's bad for mutants, but I don't know that I agree that it's objectively bad. Because why why are mutants stopping the progress of humans? Power. Yeah. Right. So does that not cast the mutants in a negative light? Beast's actions reflect what's best for mutant kind. But that's, that goes directly against what's necessarily best for mankind. So... Uh... Okay, I think 
I agree with you in the context of where the books are right now. I disagree based on the context of where we know that the human tech timeline ends up with humans uh, ascending to that like singular the singularity. I forget what the what they're called. Why was like, that bad? Well, because I I believe that the argument there, at least this is what I was getting out of it, right? Is that like at that point, like humans are ascending to something that's less human than the natural evolutions of mutants. And I think that or the natural evolution of mutants because mutant society is different than human society, but it's way more akin to human society than um, uh, than us merging with a machine brain. And like, I think that was kind of like, I feel as though that was a, a, a juxtaposition that was made on purpose that like mutants are more natural and they, that that's better. Well, uh, hmm. so one to answer Sean's question, it was, I think that the reason that they're doing it is because it's in bad faith. Like the evolution is in bad faith. It's not, we are becoming evolved and then being good people. It's we're evolving and then still doing the shitty things that humans do. But mutants do shitty things. That there's no neither no group is morally better than the other because they're all equally capable of doing wrong. So if that's the case, then I don't see why one evolutionary track is objectively better than the other. Mutants are as far removed from humanity in my brain as this plant dude. In the sense that eventually, over time, there will be no more humans, and mutants are not human. Isn't that's kind of what um, this issue? I, I see why you want us to read it so so much. Is this issue kind of feels like the most foreshadowing to the powers line um, because it's all about this singularity, and when we, I mean, that was like a big theme in powers was was kind of the way both mutants and humanity evolve in the future in this issue feels like it's uh, planning the roots of that. Um, to, to respond to something you said before, Sean, I feel like in my mind, the logic on some level, I guess, of why humans are more like mutants than either of these other like possible lines of human evolution that we've seen is that it's natural. Like, mutants are, at least the original mutants, right, are born of humans, and they they are a natural evolution of humanity. And, like, yes, like, mutant society will grow and change in ways that would, you know, probably make that less true over time, but that's true of any of these lines, right? And, and I think the difference is that, like, the evolution of mutants is something that has happened just through the natural evolution of of homo sapiens whereas these other things are they're evolutions that are like they're like kind of shortcuts and they're done in the pursuit of power rather than just the natural order they're not necessarily done in the pursuit of power they're done in the pursuit of a lot of things in this case uh there was there are medical reasons why you would want to do that um the ability to continue humanity, uh, the ability to prolong life. You could make the argument that human beings already don't 
do what's natural because what's natural is for you to die and to die early. <laughs> but we've done a sure. lot of things to preserve our lives throughout the course of history, and there's zero wrong with that. So I don't see why a technological or a plant-based extension of that would be more problematic than mutants extinguishing humans by the nature of the fact that they exist and will continue to exist and outpace humanity itself and morally speaking i can't see a difference between any of those tracks whether one is more natural than the other Uh, but we're really in the weeds at this point uh what did you guys think about the way that this book looks i thought it looked freaking amazing i thought this issue looked so good this is a guy that's going to be on uh hellions yes it was about it yeah okay uh, Pete, you look really good in this book. I did, <laughs> dude. I uh, I don't know if I've told this story on the show, but at New York Comic Con last year, you have. Oh, I yeah, did. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, somebody <laughs> thought I was cosplaying as. Uh, no, you. We we heard it. Yeah, it's fine. Okay, thanks, Kale. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> what can I say? What more could you say I mean, about? What, you can, what else could you, you can say? Tell the story again. Everyone has a first episode of a podcast. It's fine. So let's tell it every, every episode. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just recap every episode, every episode. Cool. So then Marco can edit 18-hour episodes of the show. He kind of uh, already does. To prevent him from having to, ed- <laughs> to edit an 18-hour episode of this show, uh, we're going to continue to talk about the comic. I thought that the art was fantastic. I loved the simple but striking paneling. Uh, there's nothing overly crazy but i feel like the use of the uh gutters making them a little bit thicker uh it did a lot for me in terms of uh adding bigness to the book boldness to the book which i think a book like this definitely needs um and you know again simple paneling but everything within it looks really striking um and I really also enjoyed the colors. This book looks distinct from the other books. It's a lot darker. And I think that Segovia's art complements that really well. And Guru FX brought their A-game uh, in terms of coloring. Because everything just has that X-Force dark grittiness to it. Yeah, the lighting and shadow work is really, really solid. Um, I think my favorite two pages are the um, where where there's like the every page or every um, section is just the two panels and it's Beast like cleaning his glasses as he's like talking oh, through yeah. the entire thing. That's, That's just like it's very simple, but it's very effective. I gotta say that was actually my least favorite. Really, really? part. I I like the idea, uh, but I think it's been done better. Um, I think I think part of the trouble I had, and this is something I, I was going to bring up, is I had trouble with the caption boxes. Uh, I didn't, I couldn't tell, and maybe it's because I hadn't been reading. I don't know if the the caption boxes, if uh, in the rest of the books, are Beast narrating. They're not, but I didn't know it was Beast. Huh? And I th- and that would really? have added. That would have added. Yeah. Like uh, until that point, interesting. Like it, I mean, I, I thought it was like pretty 
clear just because it was established in the beginning that it was him. Yeah, the third page, he they show him sitting in a chair observing the action, and it says, "And I, I am their conductor." So, the- but Sage is there doing something on the computer. I don't know. It just it it that didn't work for me. Okay. Um, and uh, that particular point, I think it, I I I liked what it was trying to do. Uh, with with Beast cleaning his glasses and everything. It just didn't. It didn't feel like it went the full step that I wanted it to go. You well, might need to read more comics to kind of practice how you know panel works and stuff, <laughs> and how to like follow Damn. captions and stuff. Yeah, it's almost like I got a master's degree in this shit. Is yeah, that, okay, I would so think you'd be better. You get a doctor. Yeah. Are, are we gonna? Is that the? Is that what we're repeating on Kale's end every episode? Not the masters. Is that the? I mean, if we're fucking, you know, if we're repeating, you know, just flim flam everything. Like I just brought it up out of nowhere, right? Like, yeah, cool. Uh, I did we talk about Kid Omega every week. I forgot. Like the, uh, you do. <laughs> I did like the uh, Xavier's confession. I was just about to bring this but, up. I I I liked it because it felt bare like it it didn't necessarily feel like it was trying to do what hickman does it felt like it was just kind of succinct and to the point yeah this is this my jaw dropped and i gasped when i read this because uh there's a the the book the book x-force has been talking a lot about how mutants feel too safe and in our Discord question from before, uh, Harris brought up the idea of a predator existing that could prey upon the mutants and their softness now. And what is ex- what is being said here, and I'm really curious as to who wrote this. It's not, I don't believe it's Xavier, but it's someone who would have the knowledge of this. I suspect it's Moira because she's sitting at home doing absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> uh the implication is that they needed their 9-11 event. They needed something to rally them, to, to tighten them up, to make them more secure. And nothing could do that better than the death of Xavier. I love that idea. And I think that that is probably true. I wish, though, that in order to give it more punch, Xavier had stayed dead for a little bit longer. The fact that he was resurrected so quickly, I mean, like, I think two issues went by in X-Force. The fact that he was resurrected so quickly makes me feel like there's a possibility that they're not, that they may not take it as seriously that they could die and that dying could matter enough that they need to be secure. Sean, you'll know better than I, I will because, like, I read this stuff a lot. There's, like, a council meeting where Gene calls them out on that because Shaw's kind of like oh like it just doesn't matter that Xavier died like who cares like we were immortal and she's very much like don't think that we're like that we're without vulnerability she was saying that because she didn't know if they could resurrect Professor X Um, that was that wasn't already after it happened I don't think so okay yeah because I just remember that and I, I remember she says like it I feel like it was because I remember she says, don't act like you all weren't terrified for the last 24 hours like I was when we were unsure. But maybe I'm conflating two different conversations. But either way. I could also be wrong. 
Um, um, I think that that that's definitely the the through line that I've noticed in X Force is that it's very much about the idea that like the mutants feel too safe, they feel invincible, and like that that will be their downfall more than anything. Yeah. So what's the final word on this issue, guys? That's good. It's a good one. Does does this make you want to read X Force further, or or would you be comfortable not even reading it again after this? This makes me want to go uh, back to read what I what yeah. I missed. Actually. Oh, good. Yep, you should. It's good. I liked it. I was glad I did. I'm definitely back on the train. Um, yeah, I get the impression this might be the best of the standalone uh, Dawn of X books next to X Men. It's my favorite. X Men has been hit or miss. I I haven't loved every issue. I think X Force has been where it's at, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. After after today, I agree. I think. Yeah. I was kind of let down by uh, Marauders and Excalibur, and this is kind of pumping a little more in. You know what I'm saying? Although Sean said that Excalibur is a lot better too, and we should probably maybe pick that one back up at some Excalibur point. Excalibur is. Very good, but it has the really bad infographics. They're to me personally, they're really bad, and it has almost nothing to do with what else is happening. But if you care about Apocalypse, he's doing big things over. I'm sorry, who? Excalibur, Apocalypse. I I'm not familiar. Who? Big A. Oh, that guy. Cool. Big A, the artist, <laughs> the mutant formerly known as Apoc. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> what's your name? And he just hands you a card. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's going to do it for our review of X-Force and X-Men. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Do let us know your thoughts about both issues, whether you like them, dislike them and your reasoning. Uh, we're dying to hear from you guys about anything really. So um, definitely feel free to reach out. You can do so by hitting us up on the socials at the comics pals. You can write to us at the comics pals at gmail.com. Uh, you could leave us a comment on YouTube while you're checking us out. You can also like this video, share it with your friends and subscribe to our channel. Uh, all of those things are free to do and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. And the biggest thing we're pushing right now and something we really appreciate is if you joined our discord server, uh, that's a great way to interact with us. I think everyone who has joined it, who is a fan of this podcast, which why would you be there if you're not, uh, can attest to the fact that we've had a lot of really great conversations about comics and other things. And the five of us, except for Phil, uh, are pretty responsive. So if you do <laughs> want to chat with us, um, you will, you will definitely get that opportunity and we can read your comments on the air just as easily as any of the other methods of reaching out. So, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you to those of us who have joined us on Discord. And we look forward to interacting with you guys further. So let's do some plugs. Pete. Thanks for joining us here in another episode of The Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to get some more content from me, you can go check out the work I do over at Lupots.com, uh, where I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast, as well as the Patreon exclusive show, After Dark. Uh, so if you want some more of me, there's some more of me. All right, kill. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. You can find my work at Kaleward.com. That's T A L E W A R D.com. Uh, if you want to go get a master's degree in comic books, don't. It's not worth anything. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> yeah, uh, Marco. <laughs> you can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. 
You can also visit my website, marcocunalata.com, C-U-N-A-L-A-T-A, and uh, talk to me about all the indie shits, um, anything that is horror. Tell me how excited you are for Lock and Key because I definitely am. And um, yeah, let me know if you're also interested in the uh, that new imprint, Escaval stuff. I'd be interested to pick your brain. Uh, Phil? Um, you know, I'm glad I was on this entire episode. It was great. I was just really quiet the whole time. You know, I I, I perked up and you know, however many hours in. Um, also, I just want to say I'm really excited that my man, who's been non-existent in Hoxpox and and Dawn of X Nightcrawler, is getting that giant size issue coming up, baby. We're gonna see all the ladies he's been banging. <laughs> Bamfin. Bamfin. Yeah, and if you want to donate to my Patreon, I'm working on getting a master's myself. Mine's going to be in word life and thugonomics. So (laughs) you you can help me out there. Uh, And otherwise, uh, you can find me on social media at Cyborg Bebop. Awesome. Uh, As for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about the fact that I think a lot of people are underlooking is that uh, it's Gene Grey Day. So um, enjoy the day. God damn it. Yeah, enjoy it. It's Congrats, a, Kale. It's a beautiful... <laughs> and with that, we're the Comics Pile signing hey, off. Take care, guys. Legs killing that skirt. <laughs> that mini skirt. Wow, I really want to play Sauron. He's a dinosaur. Wow. <laughs> he doesn't want to cure cancer. He wants to make people into dinosaurs. I, I resonate with that.